This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney+. Plus. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. and salutations welcome back to sacred symbols a playstation podcast this is episode number 169 i'm joined by my son the green screen and chris Raygun. chris how are you today now you now you can be anywhere you want yeah now as you can see uh i i have a little bit of a green screen so i'm obviously getting ready to uh, do a lot of streaming over the next couple days because there's a halo flight happening and these are limited time things, so... But you could put me wherever you want. You could put me in, like, you know, on Epstein's Island. You could put me in Legend of the Hidden Temple, you nice. know. You gotta have fun with it, you know. Put me anywhere. I don't care. Blue Barracudas, my man. Yeah. I used to love... I used to... <laughs> when I was in college, that that kind of, like, had a resurgence with people, and people started buying those shirts and wearing them, and I, I yeah. never got one, and then I felt like it was too late, and now I feel like it could be done again. Maybe. Yeah. You the know, who monkeys, knows? whatever they used to call them and all that kind of shit. Yeah, it's, it never, it's never too late for a second wind, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Hence the name Second Wind. Exactly. Well, it's good to see you, my friend. And of course, Dustin Furman, executive producer of Last Damn Media and co-host of Sacred Symbols. Who's this uh, prepubescent boy on your shirt? Oh, that's Shinji. <laughs> see, people told me that uh, that I have a Shinji vibe on Sacred mm. Symbols with the coffee mm. and maybe looking slightly disgruntled. And so life imitates art. And so I, Holly got yeah. me this for my birthday. Nice. So very good. nice. It's a very nice gift. I like it. Well, welcome and hope you're doing well and hope everyone out there is doing well as well. That was pretty much just like an Austin Powers, like allow myself to introduce myself moment where I just <laughs> use the word well, like four times in seven words. But it's good to see you all. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, hope PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 is up your alley. PSVR, maybe a little PS Vita, although unlikely this week, as we have much to discuss. And I want to just start by letting you know, Patreon, patreon.com slash media is where we are supported. You can get early ad free access to every episode of this show like more than 12,000 of you do, and we appreciate you supporting us over on Patreon. Also, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Exclusive access to two episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus, our supplemental podcast each week. What episodes have we done recently? Let me think here. Let me look. Sacred Symbols Plus, if I just go over on Patreon. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so we did one about PlayStation Mobile. That's fun. You guys just recorded a call-in show for Chris. Yeah, that's going to go live soon. I have some interviews set up. I want to let everyone know. I just I obviously talked to Benji Sales. We already talked about that, but I'm bringing Brian from PlayStation Trophies on, renowned trophy hunter and trophy guide writer. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
Uh, I'm looking to get, like I said, the people from Wipeout Puron to, or Rush, I'm sorry, to talk about the, uh, the mobile offering that they're doing. And uh, let's see, who else have I reached out to? Let me look at my sent mail because I, I reached out to quite a few people. Oh, yeah. Oh. Should I mention this? No. Save keep it. That one to myself. I'm going to keep that one to myself. All right. What else is going on here? Oh, merch. Lastnamemedia.shop. Leave us nice reviews on YouTube. Or no, leave us nice reviews on iTunes. Subscribe yeah. to us on YouTube. And generally just be nice to me online. I appreciate that. <laughs> Time to get into some correction. Anastas Liak wrote into us and said, hey, Colin, you mentioned that I should write in about this. On the last episode, you said a couple of times that Ghost of Tsushima was released on PC, which it is not the case. You talk so confidently that I had to double check if I missed the PC announcement. Now, you're right. I did do this. I don't know why I did that. Sometimes it just happens. Here's my problem. Where were you guys? Where were you guys? <laughs> you know, you say you say incorrect <laughs> things and I try to save you. And, I, yeah. and no one comes in. Yo, listen, and, I yeah. heard it one time, but not I, multiple. Yeah, I, I didn't hear it at all. Like, I have no idea what the hell this like where you said this or when you said this. But like, if I heard it at all, I was like, oh, it's probably just like a minor slip up, whatever. There's no way <laughs> that this happened multiple times. Did it? Uh, I, I guess. I mean, that's the claim. That was the claim from from multiple people. Which well, is, they're all we wrong. Got, uh, yeah. we would we would never do such a thing i would never make such an error no <laughs> ghost of Tsushima not yet on pc i think maybe we're getting it mixed up because it is in that nvidia link and obviously it will come to pc but yeah. we're probably getting way ahead of ourselves dustin you have a comment yeah here's the thing okay i heard it the one time but you know i, I don't know colin we, we need to set the standard if if yeah. i don't want to be the the actually guy anytime yeah, you hear yeah, something yeah. like that and i think you were kind of on a good flow i appreciate and that i was like well it should be. I mean, it's obvious. I don't know. Maybe not, though. But here's the thing. The corrections, we love them. We like being corrected. We like setting the record straight. At the same time, some of these corrections Pedantic. Maybe, maybe stand down a bit because yeah. they've been flooding into my Twitch chat. People are like, someone came into my chat. Maybe it was this this gentleman here, uh, but saying like, hey, Colin said Ghost Tsushima is coming on PC. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, write yeah, it into my, the show. You're not my secretary. Take it easy. Yeah. So take it easy. Take it easy. Oh, you know what I was thinking about recently? I have to say this. It's totally a non sequitur and has nothing to do with anything we talk about on the show. But Dustin, you said you were watching The Sopranos. Yes. And I forgot that I, when we first started Sacred Symbols, sometimes I would pull out a, on Chris, I'd pull out a Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> Christopher. Oh my God. That's how Christopher. my that's that's literally just how my mom talks to me. I don't think she's seen the Sopranos, but it's just how that that's that would that would trigger me endlessly if you said that to me in any I can't do that. I can't yeah, abide you gotta that. steer clear of uh of that whole you know, that whole plot, that subplot with uh with Christopher then. If you don't want to hear his girlfriend call him Christopher Christopher <laughs> Christopher. Over over so accurate. Oh my God. I know people like that. I mean, that's why I think I do it right. Because that's basically <laughs> my family. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for writing in about that, Anastas. And yeah, let's leave the corrections to the thread. I have to remind everyone out there, by the way, some of you aren't reading your email when you get when you subscribe to Patreon. You're not being thorough. And I need you to be a little more thorough. All inquiries go into the thread that is posted each week into the newsfeed on Wednesdays. And we delete that feed, that link, by the way, on Thursdays, and then it's gone forever. And then we put it up again Wednesday and so on and so forth. If you write into the DMs, I always just direct you to that. But you can just save yourself the trouble and just write directly there. And we do appreciate your input. And Lynn's 27 wrote it and said, hey, gents, quick correction from two weeks back. 
regarding Alan Wake. Colin wondered whether Microsoft publishing deals have a time frame, but in this case, Remedy actually purchased the IP and publishing rights from Microsoft in 2019. And that's why both Control's DLC featuring Alan Wake and the remaster are allowed on other platforms. This is a great point, And I knew this. I think actually Chris and I talked about this on the show, but then I forgot. And then I just Googled it. I was like, is this true? And yeah, and behold, it is. It happened. I, I totally yeah. forgot about this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So thank you for that. It's a little bit of a late correction, but I'm going to allow it at this moment. Ethan Barcelos wrote in and said, hey, CDC, longtime patron, first time commenter here. I wanted to bring up a small correction. A few episodes back, you guys had discussed the newly announced Marvel Spider-Man 2 from Insomniac. Specifically, you guys were pondering on whether or not it would be co-op. However, in PlayStation's blog post, they refer to it, quote, as a, an epic single player adventure, end quote. Does this line confirm there will not be co-op? Do you think there's a possibility of a co-op centered side mode? In my opinion, I think this will be a strictly single player game that you have swapping between Peter and Miles during the campaign. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks for everything you do. Hope to see you guys in person one day. Dustin, I want to throw it over to you first because I did go back and read, and I'm actually pulling it up now. I did go back and read PlayStation blog, Spider-Man 2. This PlayStation blog post, I was like, oh, I, I guess they did say something definitive, but they really didn't. Because he says, and it's from Ryan Schneider, who's one of the leads at Insomniac, and he says, we're so thrilled to continue the journey of both Peter Parker and Miles Morales in their most epic single-player adventure yet, coming exclusively to PlayStation 5 in, 2000, in 2023. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that says that it's not co-op. I think I think what they're emphasizing is that it could be played alone. And I would be a little confused by the appearance of both of the Spider-Men if it wasn't what he's saying, a swapping game or more likely a co-op game. I just felt like that was an obvious thing. And if that wasn't the intent, that was very bad marketing, which is a little bit of a surprise for a studio and a publisher that does pretty good marketing. So what do you think, Dustin? I think it is still... I'm in the middle on this because you're right that the marketing kind of did emphasize the two... Spider-Men, I guess. But I think that the possibility of like switching between the the two of them, I feel like that's locked in. Like you're going to be playing as both of them for sure. Yeah, for sure. The issue with co-op and this is something I was thinking about is that I if I remember correctly, I know in at least Miles Morales there are certain moves that slow down time, like to let you either hone in like when you're shooting a web or something like that. So there would have to be modifications to the game in order to make it so none of the attacks take place and slow down time. Everything would need to be real time to compensate for the other player in the game. Mm -hmm. So I if my estimation that if there is a co-op, it'll be a separate mode from the, the main campaign in order to make those changes to the core combat. All right, we're back. We just had to make a quick cut there. I wanted to make a quick comment that uh, it's because I started I stopped. I didn't record my backup, so we needed to start again. That's my fault. But I loved that when I came back into the room, Chris was immediately eating something. Like <laughs> I feel like you're always on the verge of having just eaten or are about to eat, and we are always just interrupting that. Yeah. That yeah. I don't, I, don't I don't take good care of myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to comment on that. Very, uh, it was cute. I thought you're always ready to go. Yeah, you're really ready to go. I always got something, you know, I got a bag of donuts yeah. one day. I got like, a, you know, a bag of beef jerky on hand. You don't know what the hell I got. Yeah, I, I could really have anything on any border of this screen right now. I could have fucking anything. I'll pull down a microphone and it'll be like, whoa, it's a cannoli. You know, that'll be sick. I'd love that. Yeah. How Italian of you. I have to say that uh, I dispatched Micah the other day to the supermarket to get crumb cake because uh, she was going. Oh. Uh, she, and I was I was like, Can we get Entenmann's because, you know, that's a New York, New York classic. Yeah. And they didn't have it down there, but they had their own Publix, which is a supermarket, their own crumb cake. 
and that shit was awesome. And then last night I had this this really horrible revelation after I ate dinner. I just had the fucking tin in front of me and I was just eating it out of the tin. And I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. I used to, do that. I used to do that with uh, I used to do that with the the Entenmann's Devil's the chocolate devil's food cake. Oh yeah. Ah. Entenmann's is a real joy. Yeah. 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 That's a very my dad does that. My dad is the type that will not use another plate. He'll just use the vessel that's right. contained. But it forces him to eat like three like a quarter of something because he's like, Well, I don't want to get a plate out to cut it. So and then he'll just eat like a quarter of a pie or something. Yeah. yeah. Very Travis that's Furman good. move. Shout out to Travis Furman. <laughs> ben Williams wrote in and said, Hey Fats, this one is mainly for Colin. You stated that you differentiate your product by not having relationships with and not soliciting game codes from publishers and Sony. However, You've mentioned multiple times that you do receive an unsolicited game code on occasion. Isn't it a little contradictory to criticize others in games media for receiving codes from publishers and developers they're friendly with while you also receive codes from developers you're friendly with? Doesn't that cloud your judgment on those games as much as it would any other person in games media, but just at a smaller scale? Keep doing the Lord's work. Thank you, Ben, for writing him and for not letting Hey Fats die. We can never let anyone never. forget that Joe no. Biden said that because that is still one of the funniest. Just that was just pure comedy. Yeah, never forget. <laughs> but... <laughs> So my answer to this is, uh, Ben, no, I don't think it's contradictory. I have no problem with people having friends in the industry. That's that's obvious. I mean, if you work in an industry, you're going to have friends. People have many friends. And when one of those friends is an indie developer and they're like, here, take a code for a game. I'm like, sure. I mean, and some of them like trigger, which I'm in the credits. I mean, it would be kind of weird for me to be like, well, I'm not going to get take a code, but I definitely played it early and I definitely gave them notes and feedback. And now I'm not going to take the code. You know, so. I understand what you're saying, but the point is, is we're not soliciting these things. We're not going out and asking for codes. I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a conversation with Yacht Club over the last week, uh, who I'm very friendly with, you know, the guys who do Shovel Knight. And we were talking about totally unrelated stuff. And then they were like, hey, man, uh, we're doing the Shovel Knight, you know, dig game or whatever it's going to be called. Um, so do you want us to keep in touch with you when the time comes? And I'm like, yeah, you know, reach out when the time comes and we'll talk. Um, they're my friends. I've known them since 2012. I'm not going to be like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But then we'll figure out. What happens very similar to Axiom Verge 2 with my, my buddy Tom Happ. He sent me a code and then I used it and I haven't even played the game yet. So I understand what you're saying. But the point is, is that we're not soliciting these codes. And more importantly, is that we're not soliciting them or talking to AAA developers and publishers. I have no problem with talking to independent entities and on occasion playing their games. I, I think you have to know that that's different. Yeah. I mean, right. Like I, I think Trigger, a- which was made by three people. It's yeah. not really like a, the same. And you just closed it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of the big deal. That's like kind of the big thing is, you know, if if you feel like there's so much of a conflict of interest that you have to recuse yourself from like reviewing or talking about it or just like being upfront about like what the nature of your relationship is with the developers in question. Like, I think I think transparency is like really the main, you know, crux of this whole discussion. Absolutely. And I was just thinking just Ben to kind of ameliorate any concern you might have. I was just thinking about the games that were even on my console, right, recently, and, like, games I played. Tales of, or, I just bought, Tales of Arise, bought, Kenna, bought, Hades, bought, Deathloop, bought. I mean, those are the last four games over the last month. I bought, you know, Scarlet Nexus and Ender Lilies and Dodgeball Academia. I bought the Metal Gear Solid collection recently because I had to do that. I bought Doki Doki Literature Club and Returnal and Ratchet and Clank and Biomutant and Resident Evil Village and Outriders. You know, come on. Yeah, (laughs) give me a break, please. (laughs) <laughs> Please give me a break. I can't take it anymore. And Sam Jackson wrote in, best known for his 90s hit film Pulp Fiction, as well as playing Mace Windu. He says, hi, fellas. Just a quick one. How have we fallen into calling PS Plus games and Game Pass games free? PS Plus makes a little more sense since you're paying for online multiplayer functionality and getting free games as a side. But Game Pass games 
are straight up not free. That's the service you're paying for. And what is bringing in subscriptions? Just a thought. I keep noticing you guys and others referring to Game Pass games as free, and it makes my left eye twitch every time. Thanks for all that you do and keep making the most high quality gaming podcast out there. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate your hard work, especially on the film set. <laughs> now, Chris, I want to go over to you on this one. Yeah, we have to be a little better about this, right? I mean, and yeah. I'm not saying we only all of us in the industry. It is a word we bandy around subscriptions for some reason have come. I say it about Amazon Prime all the time. Free shipping. It's not fucking free. It's really not. I pay for Prime. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, I'm going to go watch the documentary they just put up on Netflix for free. It's like, no, you have a Netflix subscription. You're not. It's, so do you agree? And how can we better talk about these things? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it is a bit of a colloquialism that like it's mm. just kind of inevitable that words just sort of deteriorate uh, over time. It's it's like the word literally, you know, like we're like that right. does not mean that it literally literally means the opposite of what it means <laughs> so it's like it's a very weird position where i think free is also kind of in that same thing but i think also just in the context of media specifically like games or even movies sometimes i do like look at netflix and i'm like oh sick i get to watch seinfeld now because seinfeld is coming in october to netflix and i think oh i get to watch it for free only because i don't have to expend the effort of like going to a store buying like finding the dvd like like bringing it home putting it into my thing and it's almost like it's like maybe like effort free or something and that's why it like kind of like gels sure. to that I, I don't know there's something psychological about it but i do think in general we are a bit too uh cavalier with that word nice yeah, and, I, yeah. I totally agree and yeah. i think that we need more specificity. We talk about this all the time in the way we talk about games and the way we talk about genres, mechanics. We try to be a little bit more deliberate about that. And you're right. So I'm going to really try to check myself on that. And yeah. we'll see if we can we can keep that up. But it is an interesting point that Sam makes that it, it is just kind of the way people do discuss these games. And I, to your point, Chris, which is funny, and you probably remember this. I think it was Miriam Webster, one of the great dictionaries, actually succumbed and changed the definition of literally. Do you remember that? Like yeah, this was a thing that happened a few years ago. So and then people were like, so literally now means figuratively. So now what does literally mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. is there a word for literally? Because now it literally means figuratively and figuratively also means figuratively. Yeah, well, literally, I guess, just means uh, figuratively with emphasis now, like right, exagger right. exaggeratory, uh, exaggeratory emphasis. Because like, look, I know a lot of people were freaking out about that, but I mean, like language is changed. It's literally how sure. language tap. It is annoying to me, but also like I get it. Like nobody uses that word the way it's supposed to be used so like what do you do you just it's have true. this stubborn book telling you like you should be we should be saying ye old you know yeah, like, imagine t imagine talking to someone like chaucer or something i'd be like what the fuck are you saying <laughs> yeah you need to speak english son all right dustin oh by the way just speaking of that by the way just chaucer, one other thing speaking of chaucer through, <laughs> speaking of chaucer i was going through our exit surveys which are always interesting they're usually sad because it's usually like i lost my job or you know i don't have time and it's but one of the person people said we're too anti-british <laughs> oh that. my god you did see that right yeah i was, did that see was a good one. Uh, <laughs> sorry to see you go uh dustin what do you make of uh sam jackson's inclination that we should be talking about this differently ps plus Game Pass, etc. Even PS Now. I think he's right in that it would be more accurate to, for us to say it is included with Game Pass, right? Yes. That that would make more sense. There's a small part of me that it's like, yes, it is. The game is free with Game Pass, with your Game Pass subscription. And this only I would say is maybe a note to consider in the fact that 
now with other subscription services like Disney Plus, there are items on it that are not free. Like if you want to rent a movie, you have to have the subscription and then you have to pay on top of it for the theatrical versions. Right. Will will Game Pass do something like this? Probably not, but I feel like it's not entirely wrong to say it's free with Game Pass or free with Netflix because it is free with the service. But overall, he's right. We should say included. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So let's try. We'll, we'll see if we can if we can do that. And we probably won't. But thank you anyway, <laughs> Sam Jackson, for writing in. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, just a few uh, quick news stories to get through. I just wanted people to know. So Wall Street Journal published a, a story. It says SEC is investigating Activision Blizzard over workplace discrimination practices. And so the Securities and Exchange Commission is obviously a very powerful organization in the U.S. government that deals with corporate entities, especially large corporate entities and monies and conduct and all of the rest. So you can go read about this yourself. I feel like we're not really equipped to talk about this with our own knowledge. And I will say that again and again, people in the industry that don't know anything keep embarrassing themselves talking about this stuff. All you the only person you should be looking to to really hear about this, apart from commentary about the fallout or whatever, is Rick Hogue, last stand contributor and lawyer. And he said on Twitter that people are misinterpreting this and that this is really not a big deal and that the California action we've already discussed on the show is far more substantial to Activision Blizzard. So I'm going to take his word for it. You can go read about it. We don't really have anything to say about this here. Mm-hmm. But I did want to ask you about this one, Chris. Titanfall 3. Dexerdo, is that how you say it? I don't know. Wrote in and said that, or wrote, wrote it, didn't write in, wrote a story about community mat coordinator Jason Garza from Respawn, who's been in the news in the past. He seems to kind of just shoot it from the hip a lot. And uh, he says this about Titanfall 3, which is relevant because Titanfall 3 was in the NVIDIA GeForce leak. He says, quote, don't get your hopes up, man. I've said this before. We don't have anything in the works. There's nothing. There's nothing there. We've got too many other games in the work right now, works right now. End quote. What do you make of that? Do you th- So we already kind of know that at least one other game on that list has been literally uh, discussed by a publisher as in not existing. Right. That is Modern, Modern Warfare. Warfare 3 Remastered. But I understand from some sources that I know that talk to sources, so don't quote me on this. I've heard from people that I trust that the game may be done or in development and may never be released. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know if that's true or not. And I also know that 
EA has since said, since Jason Garza spoke, that you know Titanfall is part of our blood or some, some shit like that. But yeah, what do you think? Do you think we're going to get Titanfall three or no? I don't know, man. Like, uh, the, the, yeah, because they did say, and I saw this tweet earlier, where it's like contrary to what so, folks, some folks are reporting, Titanfall is the very core of our DNA. Who knows what the future may hold or something? And right. I'm like, well, what are you fucking doing then? Like, shut up. Like, I like for real. Like, I'm sorry, but like, don't go like, hey, there's nothing there. But also like, hey, who knows? You can't play both sides on this. Either you're going to do it and you have plans to do it or you're not going to do it. Don't don't sit on the fence with this. It's annoying. Like, I think personally, I think that there's no way in hell that at least some type of draft of Titanfall 3 does not exist. I have a feeling that there's at least some something of that game that exists in some capacity that could be like pre 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 alpha or whatever the hell. And maybe it's on the on the back burner for like, you know, when Apex started like really taking off. I believe that it exists in some capacity, but I, I also do believe that it's going to be a while before we see anything. But I don't know. I, I don't like this like this double speak here that's going on where it's like, well, we don't want to get people's hopes up, but we kind of want to like we kind of want to remind people that like, oh, well, maybe you could get your hopes up a little bit, like maybe maybe not too much, but like a, just a little it just seems a little disingenuous and irritating from a from an audience perspective. And I don't know what else to say about that, really. It's yeah, frustrating. I, I find it weird just because I'm not a big Titanfall fan. I like Titanfall 2's campaign, as we've talked about many times. Yeah, but it's great. It is a little peculiar that they dangle this game in front of people and its inherent connection to, re- to Apex Legends. Yeah. And then they just act like it would almost be preposterous that we would get another Titanfall game. I just, I don't know. And I'm, I'm Dustin, I know you put that, that correct or that addition in, into the document here. Yeah. Of course, Chris's point, of course, Titanfall is central to your DNA. This is just very EA PR speak. You have to say that because Apex Legends is a Titanfall game, technically, mm-hmm. I guess. And yeah, I, I just, I, do you agree with Chris that this is, this is frustrating? Obviously they're a big studio. There are over 300 people at Respawn now. They're making multiple games. I just don't know. How many of them are on Apex? How many of them are on the new Star Wars game and all of this, this uh, other shit that they're making? So anyway, what do you think? The question in my mind is the coordinator. The, it's the community coordinator, Jason Garza, that said this. I don't know at what level in a company a community coordinator is. The only thing I could think is that he spoke to the best of his knowledge. And it's possible that the higher ups have a timeline of the next five to ten years of respawn loosely and in their mind they are doing a titanfall game and so they maybe did want to correct the record somewhat to be like well maybe not i i agree though that uh i don't know who's speaking out of turn here the the community guy or the official statement from respawn's twitter like maybe they were kind of like yeah you shouldn't be confirming or denying games on our behalf yeah. in a way well to, to well to me it's just a, a breakdown of communication within the company you know sure. because you can't like i understand it's very like flowery like uh you know pr speak to be like who knows what the future may hold but at the same time to me to me that is just like i, I don't know that's trying to have it both ways and it's just you, you have to have written that tweet out and sent it for approval and the the person who must know whether or not that's even something that would be worth saying 
would have been able to say whether or not that was true or not, you know? So, like, to me, it's just like, yeah, I, I have no doubt that Titanfall 3 will exist at some point. I don't think it'll be anytime soon. But if that's the case, dude, then just say, like, don't expect that anytime soon. If you're going to pretend like, hey, it's a possibility, then why not just, like, confirm that it's a possibility by saying, hey, uh, not anytime soon. We got a lot of other projects in the works. That would be more than enough or more than fine for everybody. Because it could be like, hey, you know, it's nice to know that it's on their minds, but it's also nice to know that we don't have to constantly like scour the internet every for the next like three years looking for any clue that this thing might exist. When it clearly will. They're building their entire studio off of the Titanfall IP. They're not going to do Titanfall 3 ever. I, I just, I don't believe that whatsoever. That's insane. We'll see. I'm more interested in how many times they're going to split this studio. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because remember, they also made, didn't they make a Medal of Honor like VR game too? Like they're, they're yeah. messing around with like a lot of yeah. different stuff. And that VR game was only on PC, which was really weird. Never even came to PSVR. So I don't know what the fuck that was all about. But nonetheless, we'll keep an eye on what Respawn's doing. EA's crown jewel at this point, no doubt. Just a quick note being reported that, and this is for more Dustin and I, but <laughs> we were talking a little bit last week about the studio Hexadrive working on Dragon Quest Eleven alongside Square, or I'm sorry, Dragon Quest 12 alongside uh, Armor, com- or what is it? What is it called? Armor Project, which is like Yuji Horii's company and and all of the rest. But we have news now that another Japanese team uh, called Orca is working on it. Orca worked on Dragon Quest 11 as well. And so we can look forward to some sort of collaborative effort. It might make a little more sense as to why all these companies are getting together for something brand new. And uh, I also wanted to note that uh, Yuji Naka has officially gone independent. This comes from website VGC. He tweeted, he says, thank you for your birthday messages. I'm 56 years old. I've recently started learning how to program again, and I'm working on a simple game for smartphones with Unity. I'm making it by myself, so it's not much, but I'm enjoying programming it. I hope you'll be able to play with the app when it's available, end quote. So what do you think, Dustin? Yuji Naka going off into the into the sad good night um, after creating that Balan company or whatever they call called it, getting a pretty su- nice sweetheart deal with Square Enix and then making a game in which all of the buttons do the same thing. This feels like uh, that interview with George Lucas when he's like, oh, I'm still making movies. Uh, they're, they're, they're small short films for, for my family. Um, <laughs> not quite. I mean, he said he's going to make some, you know, he wants to release this app, but I don't know. The, the story of, of Balan is a very intriguing one. I would love to know, like, I'd love to hear the pitch for Balan initially, like from here, like seeing the game, it's clear that they had this grandiose idea for it. There's a book written about uh, Balan and like, it's clear when you play the game, there's like some kind of narrative thread that is there, but it's not, it's just a mess. Honestly, (laughs) it's just a mess period. And so I don't know, this could have been a situation where the project got away from him got got away from him and obviously it's on him as the director uh it's his failure ultimately but i wish him well you know he's he's an og he deserves respect regardless of balan and i hope that he's just able to chill out do what he loves and maybe maybe make a fun little mobile game chris any uh, input on this uh man like uh that's a real shame you know, I don't know. Balan is such a. I, I'm with Dustin, where I, like I want to see a, a documentary about this thing. You know, like I, I want like in the trenches, like war stories. Like, yeah, we tried to get more buttons in, but we just couldn't do it. Like, I, just, like 
these like really like you see like a glint in their eye of like of like you know wars long fought i i i think uh you know, I, I agree with Dustin. I think, you know, he, he's obviously contributed a lot to the industry. And, like, you know, one failure is not, you know, not the end of the world. Like, people are always going to remember Sonic. And Sonic's huge still. Like, to the point where there's a sequel motion picture, like, on its way. So, like, he's made his impact. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I am so deeply curious about this game. And what Dustin, like Dustin said, like, what is, what was the pitch? And how did this get so fucking bizarre like why maybe is it we'll a, learn one day i doubt it but. why is it a musical <laughs> like Very yeah weird. Dude. there's so there's so much about it. it it is like one of the most interesting games that i will never in a million years play you know but you know god bless him <clears throat> wanted to throw this out real quick uh mick uh mick mckindy who was a really well-known and still is a well-known or was a well-known artist that did a lot of video game cover art and advertising art. Um, you can look him up if you want. M-I-C-K-M-C-G-I-N-T-Y, Mick McKinney. And uh, he passed away, unfortunately. And uh, he's best known for his iconic Street Fighter art. If you guys have seen basically anything from Street Fighter 2, all of that stuff was his art. And it's awesome even in the advertisements. He did a lot of stuff for Zoo Tycoon and Leisure Suit Larry and... He did Kid Chameleon, which is actually a very cool box art uh, for Genesis. Kid Chameleon was a Genesis game, and that's a really dope piece of art as well. So anyway, I just wanted to shout him out and give him his due respect as he passes on to the next life. And of course, I wanted to end here with an inquiry because I'm curious what you guys have to say about this. Rajiv Bazu wrote in and said, hi, all. What do you appreciate most from your favorite podcasters or talk shows? Pardon the Interruption is one of my favorite shows because of their banter, differing personalities and viewpoints. That's a favorite of mine, too, although I don't watch it too much anymore. Their ability to offer opinions, context for their views while also letting their personalities and amusing anecdotes come through is unsurpassed. I agree. The only disappointing thing about PTI and other other shows that are in more traditional media is that they're cut down by time. So they can't let the, the jokes come out. They can't sit there for three hours. They got to get their show done in 24 minutes. And that kind of sucks. But. Chris, I'm curious, like, what have you been listening to lately and and, or watching? Are you taking any influence from anything that you've been watching for your own podcasting? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm not really a podcast consumer, really. Like, I I, I used to listen to podcasts a lot. I used to listen to the Rooster Teeth podcast when when the main guys were on it, when it was when it was Gus, Gavin, um, you know, Bernie Burns and and some of those people back in the day, like a long time ago, like over six years ago now. And I think I watched a little bit of. Um, and right now, the only the only podcast that I listen to now is Conan O'Brien's uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, which is just like a really kind of interesting. I just I just find that world of like like comedians and like late night, like super fascinating. I, I've been reading this book for a while about it. And, you know, I don't know if I take any cues from specifically from podcasters necessarily, but I do consume a lot of stand up. I watch a lot of stand up specials like in the background while I work and occasionally sometimes those mannerisms will like bleed into me and I have to like make sure to like keep them out because they're not mine. But I, I can't say that necessarily that I'm big into the broadcasting scene to the point where I'm like taking cues. I, I did like the Rooster Teeth podcast back in the day specifically because it felt like a lot, like a group of friends just hanging out and it was like your funniest friends like telling like really fun stories and bouncing off each other really well. And that's kind of what I try to do with the snark tank, which is like my side show because it's the only type of show that I like. 
So it's the kind of show that I would want to listen to. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have like, you know, specific inspirations as far as that goes. Dustin, how about you? When it comes to gaming, I'm not listening to any podcasts anymore just because much like you, Colin, I don't want people's uh, opinions, uh, especially on new hot topics to influence me at all. I will shout out a YouTube or a, you know, someone who's well known in the industry who's now doing a YouTube show, Kyle Bossman, his channel, uh, he does a show called Delayed Input. And what I really like about him is that he is able to find an angle on on whether, you know, different gaming stuff, an angle that I've always never heard anyone say and presents it in a very unique way. And to me, that's like an inspiration that I know that so many people on podcasts like Sacred Symbols, whether it's Beyond or any other, there's a million gaming shows right now. And when I was listening to gaming shows a few years ago, I remember that it was like hearing the same opinions and the same takes or the same angles on things three or four times a week. And so my goal and something that Kyle has inspired me is like, okay, well, what's the other, what's an angle that is maybe a little different. And so that's been pretty cool for me to, uh, you know, hear, uh, the other person, as far as podcasting is concerned, the only show that I really try to make time for lately is of course, Joe Rogan, our boy. And I don't listen to like, it's impossible. I feel like to listen to all of his shows just because they're very long. He does multiple a week, but what I respect about him, and I feel like we have a lot of the same mantra with this show, is that he's unafraid to say what he thinks, but he does it in a very respectful way, and he apologizes when he needs to, and he doesn't apologize when he's feeling pressure to when he knows what he believes is right. And he's uh, he's not afraid to talk to anybody either, and he's very fair. He'll tell people if he thinks what they're saying is stupid or he'll agree with somebody. And I always appreciated that that willingness to just not care whether or not what you say is going to make you trend on Twitter or whatever just because he's you know stands by what he says. And then if he doesn't then he'll he'll correct the record and that's very admirable in my opinion. Yeah, well said. I don't listen to game podcasts or game shows at all either with one exception. I listen to or it's a show really. I watch LGR on YouTube, Lazy Game Reviews, which he's is awesome. That that guy is great. And the reason I watch it is because it's like very high quality and it's PC stuff I don't know anything about. So I really like that guy. But and that's the only thing that's ever, you know, the YouTube algorithm is so on point that it knows exactly what you want to watch. And it doesn't recommend me any game stuff except for him. So it I guess it knows at this point that that's all I want to watch. And to Dustin's point, the reason that I, I feel that way is because I don't want to find my stuff I don't want to find some subconscious thing that was set by someone else. And that happens. And um, I would rather avoid that. And I think that that's what makes our shows stand out. But I am a big podcast consumer. And I want to give a shout out to a few that have definitely shaped our show. I think around the NFL is probably, from my point of view, the biggest corollary to our show. If people watch or listen to Around the NFL, it is a very similar in spirit show to our show. But it's about football. And they're hysterical. They're fucking hysterical. They're ridiculous. They're insightful, but they go off on these tangents and they have in jokes and they're just a lot of fun. And, and sadly, one of them passed away uh, earlier this year. So it's just three of them now. But the, the problem with them is that they work for the NFL, so they can say whatever they want. They don't give a fuck. But again, they're confined to like an hour and a half. And that is a, a big disappointment. 
And as far as interviewing, I love that you brought up Joe Rogan. He's a big influence for me. Sam Harris, huge influence for me. Lex Friedman, huge influence for me. People that sit down and talk to other interesting people. And then kind of the banter I, I get a lot from Crystal and Sager. I get a lot from editors mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So a lot of good shows out there. But it's funny, Dustin, I make fun of myself for this once in a while when I come up with an idea and I'm like, here's what I want to do. I want to do a fantasy draft for video games. You know, and like, I, like I'm like dead serious. And, and Dustin's like everyone. There's like a website for that. It's like a podcast that does that. It's like, <laughs> so that, that's how like ignorant I am about what's going on. But we're still going to do that, I think, in 2022, nonetheless. So thank you for writing in, Rajib. Hope you're doing well. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's get into what we're playing here. Let's start with you, Dustin, since Chris and I are... Um, no, I'm sorry. Let's start with Chris, since Dustin and I are connected with one game, so we'll get through your games first. What have you been playing? Yeah, so I've been, I've been trying out a couple things. I am uh, mostly done with uh, Life is Strange, True Colors. I know somebody wrote into the show um, saying that it might be overshadowed by Deathloop, but uh, I, w I wasn't going to have it. You know, mm. I, I figured I'd try it out. Me and Haley have been playing it. She finished the last episode while I, f I fell asleep. She's been playing it. Because I don't, I don't really like playing it. I don't know. Like, something about, like, story-based games, it's like, I might as well just help you make choices, you know? Or just, like, it, they're fun kind of co-op experiences, I, I find. Sure. Even if it, they are, like, you know, obviously single-player. But uh, I'm four episodes in, and I gotta say, it's it's pretty good. Like, from a Life is Strange perspective, like, I know, like, the first game is is marred by a lot of like really terrible dialogue the second game's a little better but it still has its moments uh but this one like it looks really good it's like animated really well it's it's acted really solidly i found like maybe like there were maybe two lines of dialogue that i found a bit like ugh. but it was always like that like internal dialogue that happens with, like you walk up to like a remote control it's like Ah, my remote control from when grandpa died or like some nonsense, <laughs> you know, it's hard to write those lines well. So I give I give those specific things a little bit more slack, but it's really well written and uh, it's pretty compelling. The the empath power is a little bit more interesting than I thought it would be. Still not as cool as like telekinesis in the second game or even rewinding time in the first one. But, you know, there is fun to be had. I think it's like really real it gets a lot it feels a lot more mature than i think the previous two games did uh i think the previous two games really tried a little bit too hard but there's some moments in here where i'm like damn that's that's pretty dark without being like you know sad porn you know what i mean where it's like like <laughs> i don't know how else to put it but like i feel no, like I that makes sense in my head sure but it's pretty good uh, i have one more episode to go uh so the ending might suck but so far i'm enjoying it i think it's Definitely the best one of the three, which is pretty cool because there's a new studio taking over. So, you know, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. And uh, the other game that I've checked out a little bit is Call of Duty Vanguard. I, I jumped into the open beta out of just sheer curiosity hmm. because everywhere on the Internet, people are dunking on this game like crazy. 
they're like, I hate it. I'm so bored. I don't know why they did this. There's a clip going around of just somebody holding a gun and it looks like like an alien pine cone. It's just like glitching the hell out. It makes no sense what you're looking at. And it's like, ah, oh, this seems ready. <laughs> and I, I got to say, man, I played it and it it feels like I, I think I'm missing something. This is exactly how every single Call of Duty game has felt to me for the last like seven, ten years. You know, like it feels identical. Yeah, there's some weird things like the fact that, you know, there are yellow dot sites in World War Two. That's a little <laughs> that's a little, you know, bizarre. A weird. Yeah. Sure. Although I feel like the historical lens of, you know, Call of Duty specifically has kind of gone out the window in the last like decade or so. It's less about authenticity and more about just like kind of like making you know slight alterations for the sake of you know appeasing to like a mass market of 12 year olds who are going to buy the game anyway there is a really cool mode though i that i should shout out and it's an interesting way of like doing matchmaking and it's it's there are four tiers or four types of modes that you can pick that are irrespective of game modes themselves like irrespective of like deathmatch or capture the flag or anything where it controls the amount of players that are funneled into a map to control the amount of chaos. So you ha- you can have like a maybe like a five versus five map or something that's built for five versus five combat. But then you turn it over to like the highest difficulty. And that small map is now populated by like three times the amount of players. So it just becomes like this chaotic mess. And I think that that's actually like a really cool idea, even if it's like a really simple, like kind of novel. Like they're not it's not really innovative in any real way but it's kind of cool that it lets you just kind of engage in chaos if you just kind of want to do that i don't necessarily see that being a long-standing mode but it's it's cool to have that level of flexibility in in a, any kind of multiplayer game but aside from that nothing really too noteworthy it feels like a call of duty game i don't imagine that if you were a big fan of call of duty before this this is going to turn you off immensely but I will say World War Two, even with these weird like yellow dot sites and, you know, a, a a revolver shotgun, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's I don't know. I, I'm just so tired, but maybe you'll like it. It's free to check out, so you might as well. Yeah, you might as well see what see what you think of it. I've been so detached from things recently because my my best friend was here for a few days, so I haven't been reading anything at all, really. And I, I just feel like I have to I've lost a few days. Yeah. Where I'm never going to get them back. Not because it was bad time, of course, but because I mean, in terms of information, let's go over to you, Dustin. Sure. Says here you're playing Deathloop, Tales and Kenna. We'll both talk about Tales last. So why don't you talk about Deathloop and Kenna first? Sure. I am done with Deathloop. Well, I'm through the main campaign or story or whatever. I know there's different endings that are possible, but I really, really like this game. It is very very good and it's funny to me just hearing the conversation around this game because people are getting very caught up in the review scores and it's kind of made me i've known this for a while where i don't like review scores every once in a while people ask me like how would you rate this game on one to ten and i'll i'll do it because it's just conversation but i'm kind of actively thinking that I never want to put a number to a game ever again, even in conversation, because I just, I hate it when I tell people I finished Deathloop, like either on stream or on the discord or something, people are asking me, well, was it a 10 out of 10? Like GameSpot said, like, 
no, I guess not. But I also didn't read GameSpot's review of it. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside, but I wanted to bring that up. Sure. I've enjoyed it very, very much. It is a very fun game. It, it has a few problems that I think that if you watched Maddie's review, he lays out actually very well in that the game starts very open-ended. And from all the trailers, you hear about killing all of the visionaries in order to break the loop. And when you're talking about an arcane game, this is very exciting. It sparks this interest of like, okay, well, there will be all these different ways in which I can break this loop. And when the game starts, it does feel that way. But surprisingly, as this game progresses, it gets quite linear, actually. And to a point where I was kind of disappointed. And I don't want to get into it much further than that. But there's still a lot of open-endedness to this game in its individual levels and the gameplay styles. And that's why I still think it was a really fun game to play. I found a, a setup that I really liked the the blink ability which is not called blink in death loop it's called blink and dishonored i never remember what it's called in death loop but that's what i was having the most fun is the open-endedness of the gameplay like i was figuring out there's an ability that lets you chain enemies together so i would like chain them together and then like clear entire rooms of enemies at the same time yeah. and Little things like that. And there's a, a bunch of abilities, too, that give you, again, that spark of, oh, maybe I can do this. Like the the blink ability, whatever it's called. You can add a modifier that lets you swap your place with an enemy. And so I was like, hmm, if I put this with the ability that makes me hover in air, I can jump slightly off of a cliff and then pause and then switch with an enemy and have them fall to their death. Or I could, like place or grenade like a, a timed mine and switch that's i think where the game really shines people are asking me is it as good as dishonored or dishonored 2 my gut says no but that doesn't take anything away from death loop because it's so fresh in a lot of different ways this is a game i do want to see a sequel to i want death loop 2 because i think that there's a lot of areas that they could expand and make this game even better well, very interesting. By the way, I think it's called Shift. But Shift. It it That's it. I never remember that. <laughs> I didn't play it. I just looked it up. All right. And it also says you're playing. I, by the way, I haven't oh, played yeah. Deathloop yet, uh, but it also says so we'll get to that. And and just to point out for those unaware, we're going to do a review discussion slash spoiler cast Sacred Symbols Plus episode for Deathloop, Tales of Arise, Kenna. Maybe we'll do Life is Strange. We'll do one for Tales of Arise, etc. So a lot of those are going to be coming towards the end of the year and we'll get into it and spoil the shit out of the games and stuff like that. Um, right. But you're also playing Kenna. Now, I bought Kenna, but I have not played it yet. I downloaded it. I learned that it requires two playthroughs for the Platinum Trophy. But I also learned that there's an easy way to circumvent that. That will obviously be patched out. So I downloaded it on my PS5 in my bedroom and then disconnected it from the network. Oh. And when I when I end up getting to it, I'll just play it all the way through without syncing. Hope nothing breaks. Won't go on PSN and then I'll upload it and hopefully you have to play it once. Always thinking. <laughs> always thinking but what uh what do you think of kenna i am so early on but i know there was a lot of people asking if we had played it at all so i wanted to get at least a little taste this game is very very beautiful i mean that's i think the first thing when people started up is that it's just strikingly beautiful it looks like in particular it looks like a disney animated movie but in a game it definitely has the feel of I don't want to put this in a negative way, but it feels like a more of an indie 
game in that the way that I don't know, like the, the move set is a little limited and it just has uh, a little bit. I don't want to say jank. I don't know. When I was when I was playing around with it, I was like, hmm, this feels a, a tiny bit off to me, but maybe it's just the beginning. But, I heard it feels and, and plays pretty old. Yes. And that people like that about it. That is a great way to put it. Uh, I'm glad you said that. But yeah, it's just um, I'm excited to get into this game. I think we need more games like this that are $40, 10 hours and offer some kind of unique angle. I think this game's unique angle is that it feels like a modern PS2 game. It's so strikingly beautiful. So I'm excited to get into that more. And then Tales of Arise, I've just I put that as I'm continuing to play it. I can really focus in on it now that I'm done with Deathloop and I'm still enjoying it very much. But Colin, how are you feeling about Tales of Arise? The truth is, is I'm only like six hours in because okay. my friend was here and all that. I've only played for a few hours since we last spoke, but it's good. Like, it's really good. I feel like there are a couple of things that really stick out to me. I don't know if you're experiencing this too, Dustin, but the map is kind of nonsensical. It doesn't tell you where you need to go. I don't know if you've noticed this. Like I was trying to find these like arrow very. It's not even a spoiler. Like very early in the game, you have to go to like these flame gates or something. You have to go like find this thing. And I'm, I'm like, where the fuck are they? I have no idea where you want me to go. Right. It, there's nothing indicating on the map where I'm supposed to go. And I think we've come so far, like games like The Division and Outriders did this really well, I think, where it's like just get you to exactly where you need to go. I don't want to dick around here and be looking all over the place now i understand that that's what jrpgs are in a sense and i'm of course a huge tales fan but i find again the little things it's like why are you not getting the little things right the map needs to be more readable the, the quick travel system needs to be better and actually there is a problem that people are experiencing as well and winston g mcdaniel wrote in sounds like a civil war general doesn't he winston g mcdaniel <laughs> general mcdaniel fought fought down at appomattox says hey cdc it's rather obvious that Tales of Arise's currency, Gauld, is given out so sparingly and orange shells and item crucial healing are so expensive. I realize you've been able to purchase Gauld by the 100000 in the PSN store. Is this a stretch in my thinking? I don't mind and actually like spending a few extra bucks on costumes or skins, but when a single-player RPG is designed around hard-to-find money, that literally keeps you alive. It's a bummer. This is a little bit of a mini-controversy going on with this game. I don't want to say it's a big deal. I don't really have a problem with this because like Rainbow Moon, which is a game I really like from East Asia Soft and SideQuest Studios from like 10 years ago, was like one of the first games I ever encountered where you could just go on PSN and just download whatever you wanted. Like you just download all of the the rainbow orbs, whatever you needed to upgrade your character, all of that. And the reason I don't really care is because it doesn't affect anything else or anybody else but you. It's a little different from the near automata thing where you can go in and technically like buy the trophies in the game. That bothered me because that it's the same reason why we make fun of those Retallica games or whatever they're called, where you're ruining the ecosystem. So that does affect everyone else. But in a single player game like this, it's like, I don't know. I, I hear you. The game is so different than other Tales games in a way that orange gels are suddenly like incredibly useful because that's the other thing, Dustin. I was curious what you thought about. What do you think about the CP, like the healing point thing where there's like a, a separate bar in addition to like other like. So you no longer have like MP in the game. Now you have like these little orbs where that allow you to like do a certain amount of like certain special attacks and then they refill as you as you fight in the game. But then there's this other bar that's like this healing bar and it stops you from using healing arts more than you should. And I'm like, that's an interesting. What do you think of that? I, I found that a little strange because it 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 gives you something new to upgrade, which is cool. Like you get more CP by doing things, but I don't know why they did that. 
I, I, I liked the more traditional nature of the old Tales games. Yeah. So my perspective is purely from someone who's never played a, a Tales game extensively. I haven't really had a problem with it. I, I kind of didn't understand it initially until I was getting destroyed in this battle over and over. And I'm like, why am why am I not being healed? And I was like, oh, it's connected to this other system, which then I, I had some items that would give you like uh, 30% more of whatever your total CP or whatever it is. My main thing with this game right now is that there's been a few instances where I will kill any or get into battle with any interaction possible as I'm going from point A to point B. And then I'll get to the boss and I'm like, hmm, I feel a little underleveled right now. And I feel like that should be a feeling when you are avoiding battles or you're not exploring a map. So you're not like grinding up. And so I'm having this weird feeling that I will have to go out and specifically just grind areas, which I'm not always a fan of. But I don't know. Maybe this I, love game the, will... I love the grind personally. But yeah. But yeah, no, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I, I need to feel this game out more. And. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, what I do know is that Deathloop has got to go in the distance now. I'll get to it before the end of the year. Kenna, I'm thinking about playing immediately, although I don't really know. And then like with Dying Light out now, there's really not much else. So now I can really sit and, for me. And now, so now I can really sit and uh, play with some of these games. But I was thinking, man, I'm so screwed because Knockback is totally screwed, which is our retro and nostalgia podcast, just totally screws my schedule up like we have to do Battlestar Galactica season three in the next few weeks. That's 20 episodes. I have to watch of that. We have to do Metal Gear Solid three after that. So I have to play that. It's like, man, oh, man, you sons of bitches. You have it too good. This audience has it too good. That's all there is. I have to make the shows worse. Yeah, it's the only way. <laughs> Intentionally. Yeah. Sorry, we have to sandbag ourselves. Dan Excel wrote in and said, hey, CDC, I like this question. He says, curious to know if you guys rather be sit would rather be sitting or laying down when console gaming. And does your preference change based on the game you're playing? As I get older, I find myself wanting to lay down more when I play. I only sit when I'm playing a competitive shooter, and it's only because my hand-eye coordination seems to be better when I sit. Thoughts? Enjoy your weekend, boys. Thank you, Dan. Chris, how are you playing games these days? I find that uh, Dan is exactly where I'm at, where, like, I, I typically, like, if I'm, like, raiding in Destiny or, like, doing Trials or, like, like playing Halo or something, I'm sitting. Like, I'm sitting, and I'm, and I'm leaning forward, and I got the hunch going. You know, because it's it's serious time. You know, this is this is a, adults are talking time. But like, I don't know, with life is strange. Uh, you know, I was I was like laying in bed, you know, like I wasn't, you know, you're just you're walking around looking at doorknobs and, you know, like, where yeah, did I no put urgency. that? Key? Yeah, there's no sense of urgency. There's no like demanding, you know, moment in the game where suddenly your reflexes are tested as opposed to like, you know, most games that I play t tend to be action oriented and tend to demand like pretty consistently almost the entire time that I'm, you know, paying attention to what's going on. And, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I find that that's exactly how I exist. Like if it's, if it's more casual, um, then I'm, I'm in bed, I'm laying down, I'm like lying sideways on the couch or whatever the hell. But, you know, for the most part, most of the games I play, most of the games I stream, especially, you know, even when I'm not streaming, I sit like hunched over like a goblin. It just has to, it's just how it has to be. Like, I don't know who made that rule, but like, it's just, it, it feels right to me to sit that way. <laughs> it's probably not good, but my experience with this is really just based on where I am in my life. Like literally where I was in my life. When I, I think about middle school 
I had like a TV in my room and a console and I, I had to sit on the floor. Yeah. Or lay on the floor because there was no other way I could the, contro- the controller would reach and all that. Then when I was in high school, I had an, a bigger bedroom and we still had no wireless controllers, obviously, then or at least first party wireless controllers. So I was always sitting Indian style on the edge of my bed playing games. And there's actually a few pictures I've shared in, my, in the past of me playing like PS1, PS2, Dreamcast, GameCube and stuff like that. And then when I got to college, I started playing in my computer chair in my dorm. And then when I went to San Francisco, I started laying in bed and playing because I had no living room. Like, I, you know, we shared space. So and now these days I have, you know, a house. So I play games once in a while in bed, but usually in my living room. And I just recline in my recliner and it's glorious. It is glorious. Where are you at, Dustin? I know nothing of this laying and playing video games. This is something I've never done. Maybe a few times I would lay sideways on a couch, but my my primary gaming space has always been in the living room. Holly and I are just not uh, like TV in the bedroom type people. It's very tempting. But we've actually had a conversation where we're you have like other in, businesses. You have other business to attend to in the, be- in the yeah, bedroom. Yeah, a correct? lot of other business, very important right. business in the bedroom. So, uh, but yeah, we we intentionally <laughs> it's like forbidden fruit. We don't want, you know, it's supposed to be better to not have a TV because it like tempts you yes. to stay up late and stuff like that. Yes. So we're oh, like, we've never that. had one. Let's just never do it at this point. Uh, never have the TV in the bedroom. So. I, Colin, I feel like you have the ultimate, though, with the lazy boy. That is what I want in life, is the lazy boy gaming setup. Oh, my God. It's perfect. I waited so long for my lazy boy because I ordered it. And then for some reason, that is unbeknownst to everyone. It takes them like four months to get you your couch. So I'm like, okay. And by the way, it's even longer if you modify it in any way. Like, I want a different Mm. fabric. So you have to like kind of get like one of their... And then they're like, yeah, we'll get it to you, you know, in four months. I'm like, okay, I guess you're not that <laughs> eager. But anyway, I was waiting and waiting and it finally came and it's just changed my entire life. That's, I just, I lay great. like a, I lay like a beached fucking whale in that thing. That's, that's your I dream. Just, that's oh my your God. Dream. <laughs> it's all I, coming true. I've always wanted to like, and I would have like, you know, I would daydream about this too. It's like, I'd be laying in my bed and I'd be like, man, wouldn't it be amazing to just lay here like fucking emotep in a sarcophagus and just stare up at the ceiling and just have a TV in my ceiling yeah, and not have to, I don't even have to, there's not a damn thing I have to do. <laughs> That's, that was been my dream. But then I always think about like, ah, the rogue, you know, falling TV. You know? Oh my God, that'd be scary, dude. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I told the story on this show about how an Xbox almost fell on my head when I was uh, in, in college because it was on like one of my shelves and they were like building a building next to us and it was just shaking and it fucking fell. I was like, holy the Xbox was like 20 pounds. Yeah, yeah. The Xbox me. is, I think, uh, if research is to be believed, I think it's about 18 metric tons. Yeah. So. That would be the ultimate irony if an Xbox took out Colin Moriarty <laughs> before he became the world's greatest PlayStation podcaster. It's like, it's like stepping on a fly. You know, you never know. <laughs> it's like a time-traveling <laughs> Xbox with a grudge. <laughs> you know, some man in 1540 killed an earthworm and then hitler didn't get into college 400 years later and then there we were (laughs) all right oh one more here from michael valdivia he wrote in and said hey colin i've been curious about something how do you manage your gaming time in football when the nfl season is back of course gaming is your full-time job so i was always wondering how you do it i am a huge nfl fan as you know i never miss a jets game i watch football all sunday and monday night of course thursday night only when it's on amazon because i'm not going to get nfl network i just refuse to do it so the answer michael is two tvs I take another TV, put it on my coffee table, tilt it towards my 
recliner. I have the other huge <laughs> TV on the wall. I play games on that TV and I watch the football games on the small. This is this is true. I can confirm that this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've done this in front of you in, yeah. in the old place, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I would probably do the same thing if I had anything I cared about more that was going on at the same time. But alas, alas, I don't. We have a very diverse podcast, by the way, because we have somebody who's never missed a Jets game, somebody who's never seen a Jets game, and Shinji. <laughs> so we really run the gamut it is it's it's inc- it's an incredible thing we've we've created here very well said very well said indeed yeah the only reason it's just that football games are live so you have to watch them as they're occurring because then it's going to get spoiled for you yeah it's, remember the they would I, a few couple times on seinfeld like they would tape a mets game and then watch it later and they were trying to avoid the score and how easy that used to be to avoid you could avoid a yankee score for weeks yeah. if you really wanted to yeah, I remember that anymore. I'm, I've been doing it for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I get fucking push notifications from the athletic when something the Jets do anything like, oh, my yeah. God. All right. Let's get into the news. By the way, at some point, Dustin and I are going to cut in here later because there is a Nintendo Direct the day we are recording this. And I have it on decent authority that there will be at least one thing announced that we want to talk about there. So we're going to take all of whatever is announced at Nintendo Direct and put it at some point in this news run, maybe right now. Okay, we're cutting in right at the very top of the news. We've lost Chris. He'll be back for the rest of the news. That's not Nintendo Direct related. Now, we're obviously not going to talk about the Nintendo Direct news, but there was a trifecta of games at the very least that are coming to PlayStation that were revealed at this event. And so I want to talk about them. I've written the three of them up and Dustin and I will have brief conversations as needed about all three of these announcements. And we'll start with this first one. We'll call it 1A. The Castlevania Advanced Collection is real. And of course, it's going to be glorious. As long rumored and leaked by various global games rating boards, the collection was confirmed during the newest Nintendo Direct, coming to PlayStation 4 imminently, so maybe even by the time this comes out. The Castlevania Advance Collection actually has four games within, not the three originally assumed. Obviously, Castlevania Advance brings memories of the awesome trilogy of Castlevania titles on Game Boy Advance, and all three of those will be here. 2001's GBA launch game Circle of the Moon, 2002's Harmony of Dissonance, and 2003's Aria of Sorrow. In addition, Dracula X is making an appearance, which is kind of random and incongruent with the styles of the aforementioned three games. Dracula X is the 1995 SNES version of Rondo of Blood, which came to the Japanese TurboGrafx-16 consoles, known as PC Engine over there, in 1993. That game later received a sequel, 1997's famous PS1 game Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which was essentially the starting point from which the GBA and DS games, uh, Castlevania games, morphed. These four titles will come together, not unlike Konami's Castlevania Anniversary Collection, the awesome compilation that launched on PS4 back in 2019. Combining most of the old school style Castlevania games from NES, SNES and Game Boy, you'll be able to rewind and look at art and all of that. Now, as I said earlier, the big thing is, is, and we don't really know for sure, like you can download it right this very minute on Switch. Apparently it will be up on PlayStation imminently too, but of course they don't update in any sort of predictable way. They just basically put up games whenever they want. So... Nonetheless, very exciting. Wanted to lead off with this. Dustin, do you have experience with these games? No, I have not played any of them. I've seen them and I've always heard that these are the true successors to Symphony of the Night, which is uh, intriguing. It's like Symphony of the Night, probably the most beloved Castlevania game. And would you say that's fair? Yeah, so I mean, without a a shadow of a doubt yeah and and konami was able to recognize that and then relegated all of its future games like that to game boy which i always found was was weird like was it i'm always curious i mean this was not really in my wheelhouse especially when uh symphony of the night came out was it like a slow 
burn on that or is it like not was it not looked at until later as a classic it just it always was weird to me that they followed up with those only on game boy yeah i don't really know why that was because the same teams or the same i guess heads like Iga worked on those games he was the associate producer of symphony of the night and then right. ended up excelling um to the very top for the GBA and DS games. So I'm not really sure what the, the point was. As I understand it, I think it was just a cheaper investment. They could annualize these things, basically, which they did. I mean, Castlevania games were coming out not unlike Madden games for more than half a decade. It was great. I loved it. And then they just stopped with uh, Order of Ecclesia. I think that was the last one. So this is exciting. Imminent release. Trophy's not up yet. The trophies for the next game are up. So we know that that really is coming out imminently. But I'm really excited about this. Highly recommended very they come very highly recommended from your friend Colin Moriarty and you know maybe you want to wait a week I'll play and let you know if the ports are good I mean obviously we're scaling up in a major way to a huge screen from the GBA screen who knows the games might look best on switch actually but I'll let you know I'll report back but highly recommended nonetheless one well let's call it 2a In a shocking announcement Square Enix has revealed a brand new remake of the 1991 classic action slash god sim game act razor it's called ActRaiser Renaissance, and it's available as we speak on PlayStation 4 via PSN. For the unfamiliar, ActRaiser was a late 1990 Japanese release on Super Famicom and was one of SNES's earliest, greatest games upon its Western launch in the fall of 1991. Developed by famed old-school Japanese developer Quintet, RIP, and published by one-time Squaresoft rival Enix, ActRaiser received a poorly planned sequel on SNES in 1993, and other than some virtual console releases, all has been quiet since. But this truly special and unique game has been remade and reimagined in 2.5D with lots of new features and that amazing soundtrack intact. And it is available again right as we speak on PlayStation 4. This is incredible. I mean, I so I literally saw a frame and a half probably of like the very beginning. I'm like, that's ActRaiser. And then and then lo and behold, I, I couldn't actually believe it because when I said it, I was like, there's no actual way that's ActRaiser. ActRaiser was a favorite of mine as a kid. And is a truly unique game that has never been replicated. And I'm not really entirely sure why. I know that game Soul Cresta was kind of trying to ape it a little bit that came out a year or two ago. But ActRaiser combines two just totally random genres and makes it work. And it seems like based on what I was seeing in the video for the remake that it's much deeper, statistically deeper and all that. But that familiar, that beautiful music. I mean, ActRaiser soundtrack is beloved, very eerie and strange. Have you played this game? No, but I've always wanted to because it's never been easily accessible. They didn't include it on the Super Nintendo Classic. Uh, there's not been any. I mean, there may have been some kind of re-releases or something like that. But um, I, I've always wanted to check out this game just because I feel like this game has a, a cult following to it in that the people that have played it really love it i've seen a lot of youtube videos where people are like you got to check out act razor it's so unique and you can see um just like the the love for this game clearly you have it now i saw on twitter is, is dagan moriarty not a fan yeah he tweeted although i don't remember him not liking it when we were younger i mean it was a game <laughs> i always took to but I don't remember him disliking it. So something must have happened. Now, Dagan has been, become quite curmudgeonly since he, mm. along with Pat, he's been writing for Pat Contry for several years on his big NES, SNES and N64 compilation books. And Dagan has just had to play so much shit. Yeah. And so it's a little, but it is a little surprising <laughs> to me that this one doesn't shine through a little, a little brighter for him in that, in that respect. I mean, Quintet 
is an amazing studio. I mean, these guys, ActRaiser was their first game, but these guys develop SNES classics like Soul Blazer, Robotrek, Illusion of Gaia, the game Terra Enigma, which was is kind of like a mysterious JRPG to American audiences because it never came out here, but it came out in Europe. And uh, so they're they're gone now. I don't think anyone knows what's happened to them, but they were longtime partners and maybe even owned in part by Enix. And then they kind of just went away. And unfortunately, they disappeared in the late 90s, I think, before we really could catch up. And, and we obviously don't have connections to the Japanese industry, so it's probably a little bit better known there what happened to those guys. But act, for people that are unfamiliar, ActRaiser, so imagine you're playing as God, basically, and or you're being dispatched to this planet from God. I mean, who the hell knows? But you're this mighty warrior this deity and you play in, I think it's like six or seven territories on this planet, like continents kind of, and you go down and you're dispatched by a God or whatever. And you go through a side scrolling stage, an action stage where you're fighting enemies with your sword. It's fucking dope. I mean, well above average in this regard. And then you fight a boss at the end. And then randomly the game turns into a God sim top down where you're in the territory that you cleared and you have to keep enemies at bay with your little archer and guy that like you have an angel that works on your behalf. Basically, people pray to you and ask you for what they need. And you start building houses and farmland and roads and you start getting rid of things that are in the way and all of that. And then towards the end, the enemies kind of always come back and you have to fight, go back to the stage again, fight a different part of it and keep them at bay. It's awesome. I mean, ActRaiser is awesome. And you're right. It's been inaccessible. The last time I played it, I want to say it was in. 2007 or 2008 it came to Wii Virtual Console and I bought oh. it immediately so I have it on my Wii I mean I don't know where it is somewhere in this house but very happy to play this and I must say so I'm sa- I was saving it for this this is going to sound lame to people especially considering we were talking just before about all the games we have to play I mean everything's kind of got to go back on the shelf now the ActRaiser and Castlevania both out now I mean these are going to be massive distractions I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to resist and especially ActRaiser, I just don't know that I'm going to be able to resist that. So I'm jumping in. I mean, I, I just wish my hope is that when we're done here, I go back downstairs, refresh the PlayStation store. And lo and behold, there it will be. But I'm not counting on that. Finally, and I'm most interested to hear what you think of this. Let's call it 3A. Interesting looking card based RPG voice of cards. The Isle Dragon Roars has been announced for PlayStation 4 by way of publisher Square Enix. The game launches on October 28th. But what it makes it notable isn't only its unique play style, but by the fact that Yoko Taro is the game's creative director. Taro is renowned for his work in the Drakengard slash Nier series, where he has often acted as director, writer, or both. He was the director of 2017's Nier Automata on PS4 and is also the creative director of the more recently released Nier Reincarnation, which came to PS4 earlier in 2021. As for the game itself, Voice of Cards is inspired by tabletop RPGs and is entirely presented as cards. The world is made of cards. Towns are made of cards. You even see cards with character portraits during conversation. This is a cool idea, and I can see why they'd be interested in doing this. This doesn't probably take Taro off the board at all. It's probably incredibly cheap to make and for Square Enix standards, and it's going to be attractive to a lot of people that like Nier, even though it's not related. Maybe it has some sort of relation to it. I don't know. Maybe we'll find that out, but... What did you think of this one? I was most curious to know what you thought of this, considering the um, the inclusion of your boy. I feel like I'd be willing to bet money that this will be connected to Nier in some way or another, just because that would be very Yokotar to do that. And that would be cool. I think they should do some stuff like that. As well. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm I'm always intrigued by card games that try to take it like many steps further than just a, a card game. Like I when I'm watching this trailer here again. 
like it's even like your your pieces like navigating over cards like they're serious like this game is only cards and that's kind of uh, an intriguing thing and i can see yoko taro being the type of developer that's like yeah this is a a challenge to work within i will say that um i think it's kind of interesting too that the music is like directly like near music to a t and maybe that is intentional if this is supposed to be a low-key near uh i don't know if spin-off's the right word but connected. i would presume that would be the case if that is if that is on the nose like that right and that's the thing uh, it's like i almost would be like okay yoko like why don't we switch it up a little bit if this is different but again maybe that's intentional either way i'm i'm gonna have my eye on this game for sure i love like looking at this trailer again i love the the art on the cards the characters look really really awesome it was just like a, a huge unexpected announcement of something like this from him and i think that's what makes it intriguing Oop, for sure sorry i, I muted myself there for a second because uh treble was barking i don't know if that was coming through she's a barker man i'll tell you yeah i had like 12 uh like not 12 dogs it felt like 12 dogs barking right when we started it's always right when you start recording that they just go off it is it's interesting the only other hanging threads here and i'm just we're recording this right after so we just don't have the press releases yet i've not seen anything come through about this is there were two other games that i think probably are coming to ps4 but i don't know for sure those would be the original kotor and Shadowrun trilogy now kotor as in the 2003 original from bioware ported by aspire who is also doing the pc and playstation 5 console exclusive is releasing the original kotor which they brought i think 10 years ago to ios so they're the same studio on november 11th now i can't find any details on if this is only coming to switch on one hand i would find it peculiar if that was true because aspire's other star wars ports like the like the fucking episode one racer and all that stuff. They're on PS4. They're on everything. So it'd be weird that KOTOR wouldn't also be on there, but I could also believe that they wouldn't want to do that because they have KOTOR coming to PS5. But even then, this is would be a PS4 game, though playable on PS5, ported from the Xbox original. So I don't know, but I would imagine that is coming. We'll verify next week. And then the other thing that I wanted to bring up was just the uh, Shadowrun trilogy uh, was really revealed for Switch at the Nintendo Direct for 2022. Obviously, this is a very XCOM-like, from my perspective, strategy series. I was reading a little bit about it in anticipation of this when we were about to record. This was, I think, an Epic Games store exclusive on PC, and that apparently came out almost a year ago. So it would make sense that these games would now proliferate from there, and it would be weird that it would be a Switch exclusive. So I assume that the Shadowrun trilogy would be coming to PS4 as well, and that's due in 2022. So I wanted to point those out as well. So three games for sure, potentially five at a Nintendo Direct for PlayStation. Uh, one oh, more. Did I miss one? Did one I, oh, more. I, I, just, I just saw this on my Twitter feed. So Deltarune, which is the follow-up to Undertale from Toby Fox, he just released uh, Chapter 2 uh, last week on PC, and so it was part of the Nintendo Direct. I have confirmation that it is also available on USPSN for free so you can nice. check out chapter one and two for free delta rune i have not played it yet but i yeah chapter very... one was on ps4 right already yeah yeah this yeah. is an update i believe to uh the the game so now it includes chapter two both free i think toby fox has gone out and said that the next chapters will be paid uh so but still cool. nice they're giving you two parts of this game no yeah charge. i mean they, they'll, they'll get they'll get you that's a great way to hook people if you're really confident 
in yeah. the game and they have every reason to be people love that shit so all right so six games then coming out of the nintendo direct and that's basically it so now we'll go back to the rest of the news the show as it's constituted chris will come back and we'll talk about everything we'll talk about the listener inquiries we'll maybe even talk a little bit about deep philosophical things probably not Hmm. but um all right we'll see you there recent rumors are to be believed quantic dream the french studio once best known for its close relationship with playstation will be making a star wars game this rumor has multiple homes and each gives the story a little bit of texture, but trusty website Video Game Chronicle perhaps distilled the information the best. The two sources from the initial story are both YouTubers, one a French YouTuber named Gautaz and the other oft-mentioned industry insider Tom Henderson, who's usually attached to Activision and EA rumors. We talk about him often. Gautaz notes that he understands that Quantic Dream is about to endeavor on a Star Wars game, while Henderson tweeted out an image referencing both Star Wars and Quantic Dream's most recent game, 2018's Detroit Become Human. Henderson later wrote on website Dual Shockers in part, quote, I was speaking to an individual who provided overwhelming evidence that he had contacts at Quantic Dream and reported that the Star Wars game by the studio has been in the works for around 18 months, end quote. Henderson also points to a random fan site's tweet about the Quantic Dream Star Wars rumor, which Quantic Dream itself liked, perhaps by accident before unliking it. Website Kotaku also points to Quantic Dream's opening of a studio in Canada earlier this year, which we discussed on this show as being central to this particular project. You'll recall that Quantic Dream is best known for what are essentially branching adventure games. This Star Wars project may actually be more in line with the games generally made in the Montreal gaming scene. Think Ubisoft and WB. Thus, this blows open the notion that we know for sure what kind of project this will be. Quantic Dream, founded in 1997, developed two games, 1999's The Nomad Soul and 2005's Fahrenheit, known stateside as Indigo Prophecy in 2005, before coupling with Sony. Under PlayStation, in a second-party capacity, Quantic Dream developed three exclusives, one of which in particular being considered an important game on its platform. That game was in the was the first of the bunch, the 2010 PS3 exclusive Heavy Rain, which was followed in 2013 by Beyond Two Souls, also for PS3, and 2018's Detroit Become Human, this time for PS4. Heavy Rain and Beyond both migrated to PS4. All three games are also on PC. Quantic Dream, which reportedly had a rocky relationship with Sony, announced its intention to self-publish its future projects in 2019, which would allow it to go multi-platform for the first time since the PS2 era. It's unlikely the Star Wars project is all it has in the works, and it has also made it clear that it intends on becoming an external publisher as well. Tony B wrote in and said, hey, Sacred Sack Boys, it's being reported that Quantic Dream is making a Star Wars game. At first, I was like, hell yeah, I can't wait to play Dantooine, become human and become a droid grappling with this humanity. But then I read on Kotaku, quote, the game will have more traditional action gameplay and possibly even open world and multiplayer elements, end quote. Okay, so does the Star Wars game by Quantic Dream excite you? And are you excited to see the studio branch out and try new things? Or would you rather have a game in their more genre-bending, cinematic-oriented style? This was the big thing, was that the rumors are this is not what you would expect. And that's not a huge surprise. Quantic Dream did make a Canadian studio. They are a French team in Paris. They made a French-Canadian studio in Montreal, taking all of the talent from surrounding studios. And what do they make more than anything in Quebec? Open world action games and open world third-person shooters and things of the, the nature. Again, think UB, think WB, even think IDOS and stuff like that. So my answer is to Tony is I was also along the same trajectory. And Dustin, I want to kick it to you first. When I heard Quantic was making a game, I was like, this is great. Like, that's awesome. I love Quantic Dream. I know that there's mixed feelings about them on this te- on this, uh, on this this show, and we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about them in the industry at large. But I was more disappointed when I found out that they were going to make a more traditional style game, although then it made sense as to why they wanted to make this new team to begin with. So what do you think? It's funny that this 
uh, story comes up just because last night I watched the first three episodes of Star Wars Visions, which is the anime Star Wars anthology. And I was thinking because I've been so flaccid about Star Wars for a very long time now, just because I haven't been very happy with how Disney has handled things as with many people. And so it's interesting because the things that I've enjoyed the most are the things that Disney has had less hands on, I would think, as far as we know that Disney is very controlling and very uh, careful with its properties. But the things that have branched out the most, like Star Wars Visions and to an extent uh, Jedi Fallen Order have been really, really cool. And so to hear uh, Quantic Dream making a Star Wars game, just like you said, Colin, I was like, damn, that would be so cool. Uh, how many maybe you could follow multiple Jedi at the Jedi Temple or something, and it would be very choice based driven. And I would love that. So to hear that it would be very much in line with other open world action games was definitely a huge damper for me. But you have to imagine that they would still put their Quantic Dream spin on it in some way or another. At least I would hope. Again, you don't want to be too judgmental of a game on a rumor right off the bat, but I would hope that they would use what their studio is known for and very good at to their advantage, especially when working with a property like Star Wars, where there's just so many cool possibilities. What do you think about this, Chris? I know you're kind of, you're not a quantic guy per se yeah. and you're not a star wars guy per se yeah i mean, I mean so I'm, not, I'm curious if this if this marriage makes sense to you yeah i'm, I'm not an anti-quantic guy i i think um the, the issue with like the quantic dream spin on an open world game is that the quantic dream spin is that quantic dream gameplay which you know what I mean? Like that's what literally defines that studio more than anything. We we got a million like choose your own adventure type games, or like or like oh different endings, you know, or like even RPGs with like you know like or dialogue options. Those aren't particularly unique. It's the way that Quantic Dream delivers those options to you and delivers that style of game to you that I think is really the spin that they have. And I don't know if that spin really works in an open world game. So I think you're probably just going to be getting something. That is not necessarily by the numbers, but something that is a little bit more traditional, a little bit less quantic uh, than you would otherwise get. But I think that's not necessarily a bad thing because, I mean, we applaud studios all the time whenever they break out and do something weird and different. Like, I mean, you know, the Killzone guys made Horizon, you know, and, and now Playground is doing Fable and stuff like that. And it's like, this is just like interesting it's interesting to let studios do that kind of thing. And, like, why not let Quantic Dream try uh, their hand at an open world game? I, I don't think it would be as standout, you know, because just by the sheer, like, uniqueness of what Quantic Dream already does. Like, you, I don't think this thing is going to be, like, you know, if they really are trying to do something that is more in line with traditional, like, you know, the Quebec scene you know, it's it's almost doomed to just be another game, you know, just, oh, hey, here's another title in the Star Wars universe. Quantic Dream just happens to be making this game, but anybody else could have done it. But uh, it's important to let developers just sort of like experiment a little bit when they feel like they want to. Like, I wouldn't have expected Insomniac to make a Wolverine game. You know, right, of course. that was never something that I would have anticipated. So this could be cool. You know, why not? 
And it does, like you said, it does put into perspective like why that's why that extra studio exists in the first place. Because I remember that was a little like what? Like, it was a little bizarre in the first place that that I happened. agree. But you know. I agree. It seems like they have three tendrils to this whole approach. Like they're gonna, they're probably making something else. It seems like this. I mean, Tom Henderson's a reliable dude. They're making a Star Wars game. I mean, I think we can pretty much conclusively say that. And then they're publishing stuff on the side, although I don't think that they've announced like their first deals yet. So we're going to start seeing their splash screen on games they didn't make, which will also be a fascinating thing. Now, I have to just go back to what Tony had said earlier, which is it just this, the idea sounds less exciting now that yeah. we know a little bit more about it. If, if what we know about it is true, because I literally was thinking about a game like Detroit. And that sounded fucking dope in the and it's not because of androids and all that it's just you could just do something so wonderful and so small and i think it's the small stories in star wars that are the best think yeah. about rogue one i i still think rogue one is empire strikes back level star wars to me and i i even loved solo a, a lot quite a bit because i felt like these were like kind of more interstitial small tiny little things that are through lines that just tell little stories about people and yeah they could have maybe done something here so it's not I am interested because I, I should back up and say that this is going to be a quantum dream game recognizably, I think. And it would be cool if they did have some sort of kinetic action combined with the immense attention to drafting and storytelling that they do, because all you really need to do is get David Cage to write the same kind of scripts with massive octopus like tendrils going all, all directions. And you just make a different kind of game around that. And it can be done. It's much more difficult and much more expensive. But my assumption is that Mar well, not Marvel, rather Disney wouldn't be involved in, in this if they weren't. If they didn't think the goods were going to be there. So, right. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And maybe we'll learn more. And moreover, we'll learn more, hopefully, about an, a real you know, new license that they would make. And Joshua Taylor writes in about this and says, hey, SS crew, I'll get straight to the point. Maybe don't call us SS crew because um yeah yeah has, has some bad connotations. I don't know if you guys with are Insomniac history tied or not, up. But. Yeah, with Insomniac tied up with licensed games for the foreseeable future and the rumor that Quantic Dream is working on a Star Wars game, whether it's a PlayStation exclusive or not, it's, that's definitely not. Are we going to see a trend this generation of licensed IP seemingly of AAA quality instead of new original ideas? I'm not sure what to think of this trend, but wanted your all's opinion on this matter. Chris, you had mentioned Wolverine, which is definitely a surprise, not only from where it's coming from but that is exclusive, but also that the game's being made at all and yeah. and what it might be. There are a lot of surprising things happening, but you had mentioned, as I recall, that it is disappointing that Insomniac is losing every every opportunity taken is an opportunity lost. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And so are you concerned about this? This licensing money, overwhelming things, because it seems like two different kinds of questionable money is coming in heavy licensing and funding money from the outside and money of combining studios, purchases, mergers, and M&A, what they call mergers and acquisitions. So are you concerned about this at all? Because again, it's cool, but it does mean that Quantic won't make something else because of it. I'll, I'll tell you what concerns me most about it is you have, you know, Detroit become human and that studio is now making... Star Wars. You have, you know, Sunset Overdrive and Ratchet and Clank, and now that studio is making Spider-Man and Wolverine. You have Tomb Raider, and now you have that studio making The Avengers. You have Hitman, and now that studio making James Bond. I am noticing a disconcerting amount of, uh, specifically in, in the last year, just a large amount of licensed properties kind of 
kind of taking the place of things that would otherwise be probably really interesting new IP. Um, not that these aren't new IP. I mean, they, they do qualify just because they're based on something else doesn't mean they're not new IP. But, you know, it, it would it would be nice to see, you know, something as off the wall and, and weird as Sunset Overdrive again. Or uh, even just to see, like, what would Tomb Raider, what would the studio behind Tomb Raider do if left to their own devices? You know, like, or what would, what would IO Interactive do if they didn't have to make another Hitman, you know, and they could just do whatever the hell they wanted? Like, it, it is a little disconcerting. I don't think that Wolverine or Spider-Man or even this new game, these new Star Wars games that we're seeing... Um, I don't think these are going to be bad games, you know. I think it's pretty safe to say, especially on the Insomniac side of things, that uh, <laughs> those games are going to be really, really good, you know. And I even think that James Bond game that IO is probably in talks to doing is probably going to be really cool too, because I think that's a really, you know, it's a, that's a a pretty good match in my opinion. But right, it is. It is. I don't know. There is something about it that is a little. I don't know. I don't want to say eerie. I don't know if I have the right word for it, really. But it it just feels like. Like you said, missed missed opportunity. A little bit too much of this happening at once. I feel like maybe space it out a little bit. It was it was cool at first to see like trickling news, but now it's like, oh man, are there any studios that aren't making a Marvel or Disney property into a video game? I know there are, but it feels like it feels like it's less and less. Well, think about how meta it even gets. Like think about Traveler's Tale, right? It's like Lego, Star Wars, right? It's now you're like getting multiple levels down and. I think sometimes about these studios, I think about Rocksteady a lot, for instance, where they're very happy doing what they're doing. They're very good at it. But it does make you wonder what would have Arkham Asylum been if it wasn't a Batman game? Like what? How could that have been like something new? Could have Arkham Knight been something new? Could the new Justice League game they're making be something new? I'm sure that it's very comfortable working within the confines of these licenses. And by the way, I would kill to get some licenses acquisition to them myself for my own studio. Yeah. G.I. Joe chief amongst them. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with wanting to work there, but I don't know. I, I find I do find it a little strange. The embracing of opportunity cost at such a rampant level as if no one has any original ideas. What do you what do you think about this, Dustin? Are you concerned or are we making a, a mountain out of a molehill? It's interesting that you brought up Rocksteady just because I feel like they were the turning point. I remember the conversation around Arkham Asylum that, that was like, wow, we have a licensed game that's good. Yeah. And people are buying it and it's and it's doing well. And just because before that licensed games were known as like stinky, nasty, overpriced garbage that they just, you know, crapped out every time there was a new movie. Like you think about like there was like a Chronicles of Narnia Xbox 360 game and stuff like that. And I mean, that was the way it was for literally yeah. years all of gaming before that was licensed game like don't crappy. forget don't forget angelina jolie's wanted oh wanted what platform that's is that a on? fucking that that's was a PS, fucking deep that was cut, ps3 dude. and xbox 360 you yeah could, you could curve the bullets and it was hilarious yeah. <laughs> what, what, it was called weapons of fate yeah, yeah. Remember? <laughs> so oh my god dude in a nice way the cut the shift of licensed games actually being good is awesome because we get things like spider-man right and we do get these dream matchups of uh io interactive and james bond and so i'm of two minds about it seeing some awesome movie licenses get great games hopefully is very exciting but at the same time i want to keep 
gaming separate from movies. Movies have tried to mimic games and steal from them. We don't need movie IPs to make awesome games. So, like I said, I'm of two minds. I like it and I don't like it. Well, let's embrace this idea that maybe we would like it just for this hypothetical from Anthony. He says, hey, lads, with Sony working so closely with Disney lately and the rumors of former second party partner Quantic also making a Star Wars game, which first party team would you like to tackle a Star Wars, see tackle a Star Wars game and why? I think Gorilla can make a fantastic open world Star Wars game. Keep up the great content. You know what studios, two studios came to mind for me that Sony owns that I would like to see Star Wars games out of? And this is going to be like, what for people? But Media Molecule and Asobi. If you want to, you had brought up Star Wars Visions earlier. The reason that's so appealing and interesting is because it's fucking different. It's truly different. No one's ever seen anything like that. And imagine embracing the true cartoonishness. Imagine what Team Asobi could do with the aesthetic of Astrobot for a game about droids, right? Or like a fun children's platformer about, you know, droids. Or think about what. What are the Concrete Genie guys called? Why can't I think? I think oh, Pixel Compulsion? Lopez. No, no, no. Pic- no, Pixel Lopez. Pixel Lopez. Think about like what? So yeah, going to Gorilla or Naughty Dog or whatever. Like we almost saw a Naughty Dog Star Wars game basically, which is what Amy Hennig was making at Visceral. I mean, we saw that scene of the Han Solo like character walking out of the building. It looked like fucking Uncharted. I mean, we 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 know what, and it looked great. I mean, we, I wish we got to see it, but I would love to see off the wall kind of stuff that I think is very attractive to me. And I was saying earlier, just the spinoff movies have been really attractive to me too. I know that they just wrapped up that Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan show and that's really intriguing to me too. There's just certain little things that I think Star Wars is so rich for storytelling, but I think it's the small ways that you tell stories. And Dagan and I always call it on on knockback small galaxy syndrome where everyone knows each other and stuff and I hate that shit. And that was what was so cool by the way about Rogue One is that there was just so little connection to anyone. And but rather the the goal was the same. So I don't know. That's where my mind's at. Uh, Chris, who who in the first party would be a- appealing to you? Would you like to see a sucker punch superhero Star Wars game? Uh, I think they could nail it. I, th- I think those are obvious answers, though. Like, you know, like Sucker Punch and Insomniac are the, are the two that are like th- they would obviously make an amazing Star Wars game. Like, yeah, I have definitely. no doubt that uh, either of those two are, are equipped. But uh, I want to get specific here. And I, you know what I want to see? You know what I want to see? I want to see Terrace Kasai 2. Wow, a fighting game. Yeah. Why not? Like, it's astounding that we haven't had a Star Wars fighting game, really. Like, it's weird. It like, is the, weird. Like, I agree. Darth Vader's in one. Isn't Darth Vader in something? He's uh, in, like, I think Injustice Mortal like n- Injustice. I yeah. think, right? Something, Wait, something Dustin, like do you know? Like, I swear. Hold on, let me look it up. I'm, I'll look it up right now. Go ahead. Darth Darth Vader Injustice. Because I remember I Darth Vader was right. PlayStation and Yoda was Xbox or like vice versa. Yeah, yeah he's in there. He's DLC. on. Injustice yeah, yeah. Too. But I don't know. It just seems like. I feel like Arc System Works would make an awesome Star Wars game. I know that's not what we're talking about, but like, I don't know. I, I, I'm so disinterested in Star Wars as, as a general premise that it's like, you know, I don't know if I have a really good answer outside of like, I think Supper, Sucker Punch could do a great job, even though I think that's kind of cheating because Infamous was basically like, what if Palpatine was, you know, athletic? You know, what if Palpatine could make decisions? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting an interesting one. Where's your mind at, uh, Dustin? Do you like the more obvious choices of an insom or sucker punch like Chris was saying, or do you like my off the beaten path media molecule? Give us a game kind of situation. The game I personally want from Star Wars is a new uh, Jedi Knight game. So mm-hmm. a single player linear, so, you know, lightsaber game 
that is it's a you fight with a lightsaber in third person and then it's a first person game when you use any other weapons i don't was trying to figure out what team would be the right team to do something like that though from the sony first party um also really strong multiplayer component i used to play gorilla Knight. Yeah, yeah maybe it would have to be gorilla oh yeah because they have both first person and third person sensibilities so yeah I'm always sad about Jedi Knight because Kyle Katarn in my in my Star Wars canon was the one who stole the Death Star plans. Uh, and he in my heart, he will always be the true hero of that day. But keep him safely tucked there. I will. Number two. Praise for PlayStation 5's 2.0 firmware update has been pretty much unanimous with people finally able to coherently read trophies, swap out SSDs and much more. However, According to respected tech studiers, Digital Foundry, the update may also boost game performance full stop. As relayed by website Push Square, quote, the new update makes Sony's current gen system run faster in very select scenarios, and this can lead to small frame rate enhancements. Two games they chose to focus on, Capcom's Devil May Cry 5 and Remedies Control, both received a one to two frame per boost second boost by virtue by virtue of running on hardware with this new firmware. Sony itself isn't making any hay about this, but this very mild boost in performance could be a sign of good things to come, particularly if we've not seen all PS5 potentially do. And the good news continues on the PlayStation 4 front, too. You'll recall PS4 also received a major new firmware update 9.0, and this update can do something even cooler. It fixes the PS4's CMOS. I don't know. Is that CMOS or CMOS? I've never heard anyone say CMOS is usually what people say. CMOS battery issue. As you may recall, industry people and tech analysts were opining that should PS4's CMOS battery die and then PlayStation Store for some reason disappear, your PS4 wouldn't play games anymore. This is true. As Push Push Square notes, a verification process meant for trophies also has the effect of, quote, not being able to connect to PSN after installing a new battery, meaning you can't access your games anymore, physical or digital, end quote. In other words, it's hypothetical problem that could have happened and now won't, thanks to PS4's firmware 9.0. So, Two big firmware updates. We were, we talked about them a little bit last week. Dustin, I don't know if you have any additions about this. I, I was curious about what you thought specifically about the um, PS5 2.0 firmware kind of adding. I, I saw that it was described as like a 3% boost to game performance. Yeah. What do you make I, of that? That is very interesting. I'm, I'm expecting that that's kind of going to be the extent of it. I don't think that Sony's ever going to come out with a firmware that's like 10% better frame rates or or whatever. But yeah. seeing the the... The fact that it's improved at all is something that is very, very cool. The The CMOS battery thing is also, I think, very exciting as well. It's one of those things that's passively exciting. Just if you care about game preservation and, and things like that, this is a big deal. The The fact that it's a the it's like a little button battery, it reminds me of people going in and replacing the, the batteries in a Super Nintendo game for the saves. Only the problem with the PS4 one is that it's like deep within the PS4. Like you have to really get in there to the motherboard in order to replace it. So the fact that they've listened to the audience since PS4 is still very much a important platform for them uh, to go in and, and make this fix is important. So we got to applaud Sony for that. Definitely. What do you make of this, Chris? Do you have any any love for this PS5 firmware, PS4 firmware problem being updated I, I we didn't even report by the way the cmos thing on this show because it was interesting but it was so ridiculous that it was impossible sony was ever going to let that happen like there was just no way that's why i didn't report it it just yeah. seemed ridiculous because by the way it also requires for the playstation store to disappear that is the, <laughs> that is a major part of the equation it's not just like the battery dying and all this stuff the ps4 must also never be able to connect to the psn again 
<laughs> it's it's so it's like a ridiculous problem and i just felt like people were look it was at a time when people were looking for things to tear them down about and i just felt like eh. yeah yeah no I, I mean any anything that improves the experience on a machine is like you know i'm in favor of it obviously like i i, don't, I can't say that i've necessarily noticed a lot of this personally because again i don't you know the trophy thing is is cool for ps5 i don't really i don't really look at the list too often and you know i, I don't know if i can really say that i've noticed a three percent you know increase but it's good that it's there it's good that it's good to know that uh, sony can kind of tweak these these very real kind of hardware realities with firmware updates it's like you know it's not necessarily something new but it's it's cool but like dustin said it's not like it's not like they're gonna release some update one day that's gonna be like wow turns out ray tracing is totally free on hardware and it doesn't doesn't require any you know what i mean like there's there's no magic solution to you know sure everything but you know kudos like it's it's good to know that uh their software engineers are seemingly a little bit more savvy than they have been in it feels like previous years you know or they've made it seem like they were they've at least, at least yeah, yeah they've they've you know they're on their way people have these really lofty expectations for ps5 which is great i am curious about their ability to bring backwards compatibility further back with a firmware update i just don't know if they'll be able to create that emulation that's all i want yeah just because i feel like it will just shut everyone up and we can finally talk about something else like all of you are playing ps3 games please i was on the ps3 a couple weeks ago i went to the playstation store sir it took minutes to load it took me like an entire day to get metal gear solid 2 on yeah. that goddamn console but well, that's why don't people me? that's why people don't play it if they could play those games on a PS5, though, I'll tell you that what, man, true. I would like be I would be all game. over Soul Reaver like for days and yeah. days on end. If that if I could play that on a PS5, you're out of your mind. If you're thinking that that's not nice. going to happen. Rumors percolate that they're going to bring that series back. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, wi- I'm we'll see. St- we'll People see I want that. if listen, man, if I can will that into existence, I my power knows no bounds. <laughs> I still think your power probably doesn't know any bounds anyway, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll keep a check on you. Number three, time conspired against us during last week's episode of Sacred Symbols, for it was just a day or two after we recorded that mysterious publisher THQ Nordic revealed no fewer than five new games for PlayStation platforms, all in celebration of its 10th anniversary. As you'll recall, THQ Nordic rose from the ashes of the original now deceased publisher THQ, which died a decade ago upon the spectacular failure of its expensive boondoggle, U-Draw. In the distribution of its IP and studios to pay its massive debt, European entity Nordic Games acquired licenses, teams, and even the THQ name, renaming itself THQ Nordic thereafter and buffing out its massive portfolio. Today, it's part of the expansive Embracer Group, under which THQ Nordic is one of several verticals that include Deep Silver, Saber Interactive, and much more. The thing is, THQ Nordic itself owns nearly 20 teams, and it's time to reveal what some of them are working on. These are the games, according to the official PlayStation blog. Purple Lamp Studios out of Austria is working on a new SpongeBob SquarePants 3D action platformer called The Cosmic Shake. It's coming to both PS4 and PS5. Belgian team Appeal Studios is bringing open-world action-adventure game Outcast 2, a new beginning to PlayStation 5. It's a sequel to the 1999 PC game Outcast, which later came to PS4 in second contact form in 2017. As leaked and discussed last week, Germany's Black Forest game is indeed working on a Destroy All Humans 2 remake called Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobed. You recall that Destroy All Humans was relaunched by this very team in 2020 on PS4, and that they were previously known for the Gianna Sisters platformer series. American team Rainbow Studios out of Arizona is working on MX vs. ATV Legends for PlayStation 5. Finally, German team Piranha Bytes is working on bringing its sequel to 2017's action RPG Elix, Elix 2, to PS4 and PS5. All five games have undetermined release dates and even windows. Dustin, is there anything here that interests you? 
It's interesting that they're doing a sequel to a 1999 PC game, uh, Outcast. I've never even heard of this game, but I went and watched the trailer that they put out for the sequel, and it looked cool. I, I don't know. Also, is was Elix... I remember seeing that game. Was it? Does it have like a fan following? It feels like a random game to get a sequel to. <laughs> yeah, it it does, but I think it it did well enough. And I I feel like it might have also been on PS Plus at some point, mm. so maybe it got a little bit of a boost. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I thought that that was weird. You know, I was reading a little bit about Rainbow Studios because I didn't know much about them. The guys that do MX versus ATV, I used to actually like some of those games on PS2, especially when they were the Red Box ones and you get them real cheap. And I never read about them. Those guys have been making those games all the way back to that era. Hmm. And I never really knew that. So um, an Arizonan team working on some stuff here. Anything uh, pique your fancy here, Chris? I mean, obviously, destroy all humans. Like we've we've I think in the last episode, we even talked about it. But like, I mean, you know, I, I, I love Pandemic Game Studios. And the fact that we're getting a Pandemic Game Studios and you know, at the end of a pandemic is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah well first full circle full circle thanks god yeah <laughs> thanks god <laughs> no but uh, for real like i don't know destroy all humans is just like such a weird game and it just makes me happy that something that weird can exist i was genuinely so convinced that this wouldn't happen purely because that game is so how do i even say this like it's very of its time like narratively to the mm. point where like i was shocked that this even got greenlit because i, I would assume that they would edit the shit out of this or like com- like retool the game completely because this this game is like the whole plot about this like the beginning of the game is like oh hey you're the first alien clone with a functioning dick and that's literally <laughs> the plot is that he's just obsessively horny the whole time like it's it's insane that this is real <laughs> i love it and you have to go to mid-tier publishers to get that kind of stuff now yeah, like, exactly as always really so it is cool. I, I'm rooting for THQ just because I I don't know. It, it's good to have this Embracer group is is interesting. It's good to have some verticals that make offbeat games. And I'm especially intrigued by the SpongeBob game just because I feel like SpongeBob is just such a a phenomenon that could that game sell like millions of copies? I have no idea. I, I don't yeah. see why not. Yeah, especially if it's on Switch as well, which I don't know if that they're going to do that, but yeah, maybe. But it's good to have like a place where like the middle market can live again, because for a while we just didn't have that. And, you know, I think we I think the industry was a little bit worse because of it. So definitely lonelier and yeah. sadder than it even is right now. Less interesting. Number four, a report from YouTube channel GamerHub TV is relayed by website IGN indicates that respected port and preservation studio Digital Eclipse wants to fully remaster beloved fighting game Marvel versus Capcom 2. It's important to note that Digital Eclipse was responsible for porting MVC2 over to Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 in 2009. They were known as Backbone then. And so it isn't a mere shot in the dark. The relationship with Capcom, Marvel, and the studio already exists. The question then is if it can be rekindled. Digital Eclipse's Mike Mika told GamerHub TV in part, quote, We've begun some discussions on that right now, and we're trying to see how far we can go. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's really not up to us. So all we can do is make the best possible case and try to make it easy for them and see if they're interested, end quote. With fighting games perpetually hot and Marvel a larger series of properties than ever, it would likely be wise to go back to MVC, back to the MVC well. The Marvel slash Capcom crossover actually began with X-Men versus Street Fighter, which came to arcades in 1996 and PS1 in 1998. I, very, I bought that actually on PS1 when it came out. Marvel versus Street Fighter came to arcades in 1997 and PS1 in 1999, followed by Marvel versus Capcom in arcades in 1998 and on PS1 in 1999, and its beloved sequel coming to arcades in 2000 and PS2 in 2002. 
Interestingly, the PSN iteration of the second game came to PS3 in 2009, three years before the original MVC came to PSN in 2012. And while Marvel vs. Capcom had a third release on PlayStation 3 in 2011, and an ultimate version of that game in PS3 and Vita in 2011 and PS4 in 2016, the most recent game, Infinite, which came to PS4 in 2017, has a shadow of MVC2's popularity. That game, developed internally by Capcom during an era when Marvel was on its last legs, may yet see life if Marvel's owner, Disney, sees fit. It's important to note that MVC2 itself was taken off of PSN four years after it launched in 2013 and can't be played there anymore. So I don't know if you guys have anything to say about this. This is a game that's kind of special to me because I share a relationship with my brother over this game. This is a, a game that I really loved when I was younger and always liked playing, even though I'm horrible at it. And it's an iconic game. And it just makes so much sense right now. And Chris, I, I would love to see it come back, but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the deal is bring MVC2 back remastered and make another new one which seems to be a no-brainer yeah and i know that the ones they've made since mvc2 have not had the same resonance but it's just because it was a different time i also think they might have gone to 2.5d at some point or something yeah yeah yeah. so yeah (laughs) i think that was a lot to do with it to be fair i i did i did like the you know the sprite based kind of like 2d charm of of and it also just played better like because of that there was something about it that just played like marvel vs. capcom 2 i think is like a perfect fighting game it is it is so so good and so fun to play like competitively or casually it's just like and they, that roster of characters is so so fu- what's the what's those little little uh little lego people oh servbots yeah servbots yeah. dude yeah. Ah, that game is so freaking good and if they do bring that back i'll be the first person like screaming about it because i that's like the only fighting game that i really you know, I have affinities for like Tekken 2. I'm like, you know, that's a hugely important game to me. I used to play that with my sister all the time. And, and like, um, you know, Bloody Roar is like a weird one that I really enjoyed back in the day. But like Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is so great. And if they remaster it, they better do it. I don't do this 2.5D shit. Like, I don't want to see Marvel vs. Capcom 2, but like, what if it's in Unreal Engine? Like, I, no, that needs to be as faithful to the original as possible. You need that sprite Definitely. work. Even if you just ported the original game, like, and like slightly upresed it, I would be, I would be totally happy. Like, it's a such a, such a good game. Goddamn, it really is. And and you know, Dustin, what my brother, you know, Dagan, you guys know Dagan. What he always talks about with this game is how Capcom married these two different universes basically and made them coherent. Yeah, totally coherent. And that this game, I think, deals with scale better than any fighting game i've ever seen i love how small Mega Man is even smaller servbot role and all of that and then how huge juggernaut is or whatever i i think it's so neat this game just i i have an affinity for this game do, do you share chris and i's love for it i've always felt that if i was going to really try to learn a fighting game that this is the one that i would want to play i just love the the fact that it still uses sprites in a time where they could have made a crappier 3D one. And I still feel like even with the newer, like Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and especially Infinite, they just do not have that same charm. And I don't know, man. I just hope that they, uh, they're they going to take us for a ride. Yeah, just oh my God, that song. Dun, 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 that, that, that's yeah. got to make a comeback. That song used to make people want to blow their brains out. I love since it. it had, I love it, it too, it just It just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, I was just watching video of Mega Man in it. I love that Rush is always with him. He's always running with yeah. him in the background, which is super cool. And then he like summons him. Oh, man. Yeah. Let's see if that happens. That would be really nice. 
Yes, it would. Number five. This was a weird one. Almost no one's talking about this, but we have to talk about it here. An interesting story has been quietly making the rounds. Publisher Bandai Namco may be secretly planning to remaster and re-release its Klonoa platforms. Platformers. Klonoa began back in late 1997 in Japan and into 1998 in the West. It was a platformer from what was then at the time known as Namco before it merged with Bandai, and its full title was Klonoa Door to Phantom Isle. It was fo- it was followed or Phantom Isle. I think that's what it was. It was followed by a sequel in 2001 on PlayStation 2 called Klonoa 2 Lunatia's Veil, and it's these two games that are central to this new reporting from website Video Games Chronicle. The website points to Japanese trademarks filed by Bandai Namco, one for Wafu Encore, the other for One and Two Encore. According to the website, quote, although Klonoa games weren't known as Wafu in Japan, one of Klonoa's trademark catchphrases is Wahoo, which Bandai Namco may have translated as Wafu. As for Encore, end quote, as for Encore, the site notes that Bandai Namco is using that titling similar to the Sony and Director's Cut, having already released a few games with it as a subtitle. I think Mr. Driller is one of them. Klonoa saw a few spinoffs and handheld releases in the early 2000s and was last seen in 2008 in a Wii game simply called Klonoa, which I remember actually being well received, although I didn't play it. Do either of you have a heritage with this game at all? These were rentals for me back when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like no. I no. Yeah. They're kind of weird offshoot. Game. Like I, I played a little bit of the first one I had like I think I had a rental of it um, and I played a little bit of it. And I, I remember liking it, but I had to give it back at some point. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I guess I guess they can have the game back if I they guess. so desperately need it. But, you know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a YouTuber, uh, Caddy Kadikaris, uh, did really good. Uh, he did like a really good video kind of like about Klonoa like a, a long while ago. And that's how I like really like reconnected with it. It's, it's a really cool and creative, weird game. Like it's 2.5D, but in a way that like actually like makes sense for the time and actually like used kind of the fact that like it was a 2D platformer, but like the levels were wrapped around this 3D environment. So it was like this weird kind of I haven't really seen that style of 2.5D ever really like since that game or like even, you know, you, you, we think of 2.5D as like even just like Marvel vs. Capcom or like even Little Big Planet where you could go in and out. It wasn't exactly like that. It was, It looped around and like. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Crash, like, yeah, in a way, right? A, a little bit, yeah. It, like, it, the dire- how the direction would swoop and then go... Totally. You know, I, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a cool game, like, seeing... And it's just a very weird-looking game, too. Like, I, I like it just because it's a very aesthetically unique title. It's very cute, and it's very... You know, it, it reminds me of, like, the chaos of, like, the, the color schemes they use. It reminds me a lot of, of uh, Strider. Like those old Strider games where it's just like, here's just a sure. massive color and it's just awesome. I, I like that we have appreciation for these old games to the point where like these these publishers are thinking like, yeah, why not bring back something as like obscure as Klonoa? Like if there's hope for right. Klonoa, then there's like pretty much there's the sky's the limit on, on what can come back is, is kind of how it makes me feel. Tomba. Yeah, I think Tomba, Tomba is just like a I, I don't I just don't think anyone knows who owns it. You know, I just That's I think the there's question. something up with that. Yeah. I think that has to be the reason because it can't be that expensive to bring Tomba back. <laughs> Somebody owns I know Tomba for and they forgot that, that they own it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude. Well, cause some, ja- didn't some like what random company come out of nowhere and like re-release those games? Monkey Paw games. Know. Monkey Paw, right? Yeah. Well, you have no history with the with the Klonoa, Dustin? I, this is a game I remember seeing at like Blockbuster and never playing it. I was actually just watching the gameplay and it looks, it looks fun. This looks very cute. This looks like a game I would like. So maybe if they do end up doing the remasters, I'll check it out. You know what it looks like? Yeah. It, it, it kind of 
and this might be a weird thing to say, but it kind of looks like if Balan was good. You know what I mean? Like if if the, mm, if that kind yeah. of style was was done in a way that made sense. <laughs> Do you get that vibe looking at the gameplay? It's like oh it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it's that is that is a funny a funny thing. Like I I really feel like even these bigger publishers like Bandai Namco are finding that. Like look at the really look at the relationship with Konami and Konami's relationship with releasing game re-releasing old games, even as they're not making new ones. Like this is a good idea. And I think it's a great sign when Bandai Namco, which really has no reason to worry about Klonoa, is still going back and and searching through their old stuff. And I think it's because every once in a while, like what happened with Bomberman on Switch and what happened with some other games re-released by some of these mid-tier publishers, is that they they find that people actually buy them that bomberman game whatever it's called solding like millions of copies it's like so why wouldn't you just dick around and fuck around and find out as it were <laughs> finally number six is a wrap-up website gamatsu reports psvr enabled game puzzle bobble 3d vacation odyssey comes to both ps4 and ps5 on october 5th rpg rainbow billy the curse of the leviathan comes to ps4 on october 5th tactical roguelike title ever tried comes to ps4 on october 21st arcade racer chorus comes to ps4 and ps5 on december 3rd Racing game Gear Club Unlimited 2 Ultimate Edition comes to PS4 and PS5 on December 14th. The Disney Classic Games Collection, including Aladdin, The Lion King, and The Jungle Book, are all en route to PS4 sometime this fall. A couple of them are already there, but this is a collection. Old school arcade games Cotton Guardian Force Saturn Tribute Cotton 100% and Panorama Cotton are all coming to PS4 at an undetermined point later this year. And Chinese-developed action RPG Wu Chang Fallen Feathers has been announced for undetermined PlayStation platforms with a release year of 2024. The website also reported that Adventure Game Wanderer has been delayed and will now come to PSVR in the fourth quarter later this year. Website Push Square reports the long-awaited Sweary-developed game The Good Life finally comes to PlayStation 4 on October 15th, while 2019's Jumanji the Video Game is coming to PS5 on October 22nd. And finally, the official PlayStation blog reports so-called social deduction party game First Class Trouble is coming to PlayStation 5 at an undetermined point in the future. And that's all we have for the news today. So let's get into... As tradition dictates, six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to wrap things up from the audience over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Thank you for your help. Remember, early ad free access, etc. We'll start with Z-Dub, who says, hello, if PlayStation ever acquired Konami's IP, which of the following would be your preference? Number one, PlayStation obtains Konami's gaming studios and tasks them with creating new installments of their franchises. Number two, PlayStation has their current internal studios create games based off Konami's IP. Number three, PlayStation purchases or creates new studios with the intent of making games based off of Konami's franchises. Dustin, I'll go to you first. Uh, knowing, breaking out of the mold a little bit that I feel like there's other options too. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say is that I think that they could potentially plug in certain things with a first party studio, but I would imagine more that they would maybe take their IP and connect them with second party uh, or studios or even third party, you know, just like something that uh, they can get the games exclusively to PlayStation and made to their liking and their quality standard, but not necessarily tie up their internal teams uh, with IP that they may or may not want to work on. What do you uh, make about this, uh, Chris? These these choices are one of your own. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, what Dustin said make them, makes the most sense. I think you'd want to have like almost a second party relationship with these kinds of things because you don't want to task like i don't know you you don't want to shove castlevania into a studio that just doesn't necessarily have the skills to do that not that they don't not that they couldn't learn i guess but you know there's definitely studios out there that 
are already like vastly more prepared and, and far more facilitated and far more um, educated on that style of game that would make more sense to be tasked with making something like a Castlevania or or like a Metal Gear even, you know, so I would imagine that that would be my preference. But of the following of the, of the three that he laid out, I mean, I guess I would prefer like the, the option number three here. PlayStation purchases and create or creates new studios with the intent of ma- them making games based off Konami games. That sounds a bit like like the Xbox method of, of like, hey, here's the coalition. Here's three, four, three. I don't know if he necessarily means, you know, studios tasked with Konami games forever or just for the short term. But I think if if the the implication is, you know, for now, here's your task. Here's a new studio that we've built with our own, you know, talent. And maybe, maybe there are a lot of people in, you know, Naughty Dog or in Insomniac or in, you know, Bend or all these other studios that might be totally drawn to making a fucking Castlevania game. And then maybe they'll come to whatever. They'll come to this new studio and make it so that way... You still have those teams doing what they love to do, and you have people doing what they love to do within the Sony ecosystem. That would be kind of, of those three, uh, the the most ideal choice. Because I don't know if I want, you know, I I don't want them forcing, again, Naughty Dog into (laughs) Castlevania. Like, I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, I'm wondering if by his third choice, he means basically like a more of a second party relationship, which is, which would be the ideal. Because I do believe that Castlevania, Metal Gear, etc., should and could live again, and that Sony might be the best steward of those. But I don't yeah. think that they should be. I don't think that they should be permanent stewards. And we'll get into this more later with another question. But I don't want more big acquisitions like this to happen. I yeah. don't want Sony to buy Konami. I don't want Sony to buy those IP. I'm telling you right now, I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. So, it. I think that you can mature a single game in Castlevania and get it to market with permission. Mm-hmm. But I think Konami, First of all, Konami would be stupid to do that. And I don't think they will. I think that this is just a total. If I were Konami, I'd be eager and probably already actively licensing everything. Yeah. Out. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear more about that soon. Side note, though. Yeah. I think Remedy would make a fucking badass Metal Gear Solid game. Yeah, Ooh. probably. They certainly understand the like the supernatural element. They're weird that enough. Makes Metal Gear I, run. They're, they're weird and quirky enough that I think like they could make something. Of that style, I think very faithfully. That would be great. Gnome Wizard wrote in and said, hello, CDC. Are you guys surprised Sony hasn't said anything about changes or additions to PlayStation Plus collection? We're almost a year from initial launch of the PS5 and all the games in the collection are still there. Do you think they will stay there permanently or do you expect this change to or this offer to change? Thanks for the podcast, boys. Chris, what do you make about PlayStation Plus collection? I, I had this idea, I've said it fucking repeatedly, that they should be taking games in and out of this thing and always keep it at whatever, 20 or 25 games. So... Maybe they do have the intention of doing that, but it is surprising. This this collection has remained totally static. What do you think uh, of its future? I think it's a little weird that it's like I, I expect like the first party games to remain like obviously like, you know, the, the Sony first party stuff, but like stuff that isn't Batman isn't like one of the uh, isn't Arkham Knight on there. Yeah, Arkham Knight's on here. I'll, I'll read out the games real quick. So Sony games, bless you, include. So second party games are Bloodborne, Detroit Become Human, Ratchet and Clank was second party at the time. And The Last Guardian was second party and until dawn. And then first party games would be Days Gone, God of War, Infamous Second Son, The Last of Us Remastered, and Uncharted 4 Thief's End. And then third party games are Batman, Arkham Knight, Battlefield 1, Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, Crash Bandicoot, Insane Trilogy, Fallout 4, Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition, Monster Hunter World, Mortal Kombat 10, Persona 5, and Resident Evil 7. 
So a lot yeah. of varied partners here. I mean, you have WB, Capcom, Bethesda yeah. is yeah. one of the partners. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's so yeah what what do you think like i i feel like i expect like i said i expect the first party to remain static but like i expected like at least like the third party to shift around every at least couple months like it's it's actually kind of surprising that it's just remained that set like that that fallout 4 is there still is interesting yeah it is probably because it's part of the deal you know like whatever deal they. yeah but how long is this freaking deal like like i don't know like maybe maybe it's a year i mean it it hasn't been a year yet so it could be it could be literally a year you're we'll find out probably right that would make the most it'd be weird i mean was it 13 months that'd be weird so yeah you're probably correct i i just anticipated it changing a little bit a little bit more by now yeah i'm interested dustin in this the, the various partners wb ea activision Bethesda slash Microsoft, Square Enix, Capcom, Atlas slash Sega. A lot of of good partnerships here, but do you expect there to be more turnover? So I went to the original PlayStation blog post where they announced it to see if there was any indication of whether or not they'd be updating it. The only thing that it says at the very end, it says check back with us on PlayStation blog for our monthly PlayStation Plus announcements. Additionally, you can check our website as details will be updated regularly about our PlayStation Plus offerings, including the PlayStation Plus collection. So they're referencing updated information about the PlayStation Plus collection. Obviously, we've not seen any updates at the time being, but I think you guys are right in that if they're going to update it, I would expect it November 12th, which was when it launched with the PlayStation 5. Kaz and Risk asks a question that we kind of got into before and said we didn't want to see see more of this, but it's a hypothetical, and I think it'll be interesting to get some answers. He says, hey, CDC, with Insomniac making games for Spider-Man and Wolverine, which Marvel hero would you like to see them take on next? Colin, you've been watching the MCU on Knockback. What about an Insomniac Hulk game? I don't know about that. I, I, like, I like that movie a lot more than I thought I did. I will say that. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Dustin, let's stay with you. Insomniac, we know they're doing Spidey Wolverine. They're making, you know, their third Spider-Man game, technically, and they're now going into Wolverine. What, what would you like to see? Hmm. This is kind of difficult for me because I'm not super, as the audience knows, drawn in by superheroes right now. But I've always been intrigued by games that you can fly around in. So an Iron Man game, I think, would be cool. In fact, I'm curious about how he was implemented in uh, the Avengers game, just because I know that... like. What about the... I'm sorry, I was going to say, what about the PSVR game? Oh, yeah, dude, that PSVR By game, Republic? I or never Republic. I never Republic. played the full version of it. I played the demo, and it was actually pretty rad. It seemed like it was probably biting off a little more that it could chew as far as having to have pretty low-res graphics to support the PlayStation VR. So, yeah, I'd actually, you know what, I'd like to see them try a crack at that again when the new PSVR launches. That would be that'd be cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, that game came out, as people might remember, Pinsir. I think it came out on July 4th, didn't it? Something like ridiculous like that. And yeah. it, it came out Pinsir between The Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima, and I think it just got lost there. But it was made by Camouflage, who were the guys that did that interesting stealth game, Republic, back in the day. Would is You know, Chris, we've kind of gone over this already, but I'm curious if there's just any hero that you would like to see yeah uh man i'm kind of on the same i feel like all the superheroes that could make for fun video games have been done already i think spider-man is obviously the one that has like the most potential just because the the physics of just the way he moves around and the the fighting style it's not you know it, it lends itself very well to video games wolverine also like somehow 
is like a really good video game character. But the fact that he said, what about an Insomniac Hulk game? That is borderline cheating because I don't know if you guys ever played Hulk's Ultimate Destruction, but that game was awesome. <laughs> it was it was it was made by I think the prototype guys and it's the same exact game like you, you're just the Hulk and you're jumping around you can pick cars up rip them in half and wear the cars as gloves to do more <laughs> damage to whatever the hell you're punching it it was so egregiously fun and, and chaotic and just mayhem oriented that I think I think pretty much any studio making a, a Hulk game with with the with the main focus being on just, you know, have fun, like just a mayhem, like almost like an, a physics driven sandbox game with the Hulk would be would be astounding only because it worked so well already. But I don't know, Iron Man and like any character that can fly for me is always suspicious because I just don't know. if I don't know of any game that's made flying as a person all that interesting like for some reason like you'd think you'd think we'd have at least a few great superman games by now or like a few great iron man games by now but we we don't really have any outside of that iron man vr game which of course in vr like that would be awesome but like as on a traditional like game design standpoint like flying from point a to point b isn't interesting that's why like in superman 64 they had you flying through rings (laughs) and even that was terrible you know like you can see them yeah, they rendered right like two feet in front of you. Yeah. Well, I, I I like that you brought up Radical, which are the guys that did the prototype. I was just reading right now. You probably know this, but the last game they ever worked on was Destiny as a support team. Yeah. Before they before they shut down, but people might. So the game you're describing, The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction, 2005. So GameCube, Xbox, PS2. But this is a studio that they they did some work. Like they did a Crash game or two, I think. They did some of those Simpsons games in the mid aughts, and then they. Had an unceremonious goodbye. Thank you for writing in, Kazdan. Yeah, I think they did hit and run, right? Yeah, they did. That's right. Tom Barber wrote in and said, Greetings, Colin, Chris, and Dustin. During the live event, four out of six of the members of Last Stand Media chose a game from the PS3, 360, or Wii generation as their best game of all time. Spoilers. We're almost 10 years removed from the end of that generation, so I was wondering what your thoughts were on it as a whole, and if you think it will be remembered as one of the better ones we've had. Thanks for all you do, and keep up the great work. Dustin, PlayStation 3, 360, I don't think we really need to... The Wii's kind of its own thing. But you can you can bring it in there as well. It was so short lived, really. I mean, it was sold for a long time, but really only relevant 2006, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Conversation. But what uh, what do you make of that generation? I, I personally consider that a, a really, really good generation and one of the best, I would say, actually. Right. It It is a great generation. It was. I mean, I guess video game consoles and games as a whole are always refining themselves. But you think about how like NES and Super Nintendo, like the huge amount of refinement. And then there was kind of a restart once 3D began that we needed to be, you know, re- refine what 3D gameplay meant. And it got a lot better from like PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2. But I feel like maybe that is the generation where modern gaming fully matured um, and we're kind of just continually refining with ps4 and and ps5 which isn't a a bad thing but you have the perfect mix of like the technical abilities of the consoles we'd figured out like what really good storytelling in a game we had finally figured out what a console 
FPS could look like. And then you get games like like Bioshock, which is like the marriage of a lot of those things. And so, yeah, it's a, an extremely important generation, especially for uh, for Chris and I as uh, teenagers during that era and like oh. really getting serious about gaming and the really the birth of online being a, a mainstream thing as well. We owe so much to that to that era. And I know Chris has a lot of stories about halo and and how that impacted him yeah i mean yeah, just i particularly th- think i was gonna say i particularly think xbox 360 is a really seminal console yeah. for everything it did but chris go on no yeah without a doubt like that was um really the first i consider it largely to be like the first w- real social media website because like, i think like or like the first mm. the first social media was like xbox live like on 360 because you had like you know you had like chat rooms or whatever and and online on pc and you had like you know facebook still in in college campuses and stuff like that but you know really like that was i remember playing a game with somebody who wasn't in my house at all for the first time and being like this is amazing like i remember having my mind blown like just the 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 first time you had native proprietary like proper first party wireless controllers included you know like there was an online infrastructure in place you could download demos for the first time you built your profile and then on top of that you had all of the refinements that Dustin was talking about like you just like BioShock and I'm, I'm looking over at my shelf right now and it's insane like the golden age of Gears of War like the peak of Halo Borderlands like BioShock it's it's like uh and like a huge amount of middle market stuff that was also like genuinely fun and then like really weird like enslaved odyssey to odyssey to the west army of two you know like the uncharted like it's so insane how much of that generation is just good and like how many gems are just kind of hidden there because of all the down even just stuff like limbo and the the introduction of like the xbox live arcade and and like you know, downloadable stuff like Dead Nation. And, and like it's it, that generation, I think, also because it lasted so long and gave like a lot of developers kind of, a, you know, the time necessary to really master those pieces of tech, because those those consoles are pretty. You know, they're pretty weak, you know, it's like 512 megabytes of like RAM or something like that. And yeah. they got yeah. Gears of War running on 512 megabytes of RAM. They got uncharted <laughs> like that they got by the way on on ps3 they got those games running like last of us and uncharted at 256 megs of ram because the the ram was partitioned permanently yeah. so yeah they literally got those which is why games on ps3 that ran on 360 fine like especially bethesda games just didn't run all the yeah. all the more impressive man like it, it's just um it really is a seminal generation i think that's why like so many great one so many of the greatest games of all time like come from that like portal like something so like you could only have something like portal if you have years of fps design behind you and to learn from and years of 3d development behind you to learn from to even formulate a concept that complicated and say yeah we're gonna make this and people are gonna love it and of course they did like i don't know i don't think it can be i really don't think it's possible to overstate like, because you could talk about it for hours and really, like, it would all be true. It's, I mean, I, I just think about, you know, Bioshock, Dead Space, The Last of Us, Uncharted. Fallout, Infamous. Skyrim. 
fallout dude yeah. oh yeah i mean it's unreal it's, it's it's a lot it's a lot and then even with wii super mario galaxy is one of those games which is a phenomenal absolutely phenomenal game so yeah. and others that are on uh, you know from that era too wii sports i mean you can't yeah. it, it's certainly antiquated now but that game was absolutely the madness in 2006 yeah. and left for anyone dead, who was around effect. then remembers dude. you know Ma mass effect of Ooh. course a lot yeah. of good shit so yeah. I consider it one of the great generations. My favorite console is still the NES, but I, again, it's because I grew up with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone would look at that generation and be like, man, the NES and Master System generation killed it. I, like, it's just, it's a little different. And I actually, I would argue that the best generation is the PS4 generation. But we can save that for another, con maybe we should have a Sacred Symbols Plus episode all about what we think the best generation is because, or maybe we'll do it live one day because PS4 was, PS4 was the realization of everything the PS3 wanted to do, but couldn't. And it actually worked. There were no, there were no, there was no Stockholm syndrome with the PS4 like there was with PS3, which we dealt with for so long. And it was the PS4 that opened our eyes and realized it didn't have to be that way. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. But again, a lot of great games stranded on that cell processor. And hopefully we can get those over at some point. Joel Palmer wrote in and said, hello, sacred sim boys. When playing a new first person game, the first thing I do is look down to check if I can see my body. <laughs> for some reason, this informs my immediate opinion of the game. In fact, it was that the fact that I could see my legs in Battlefield that won me over the early Call of Duty games. Logically, I know it doesn't change the gameplay at all, but just knowing I have legs under me just feels better. Am I just weird or is this a thing for everyone? The game that really got this right, surprisingly, is Outlast. You can see from the chest down. Thanks for uh, thanks for the stuff. Oh, you're welcome, Joe. Thank you for writing in. It's funny because I was playing Metal Gear Solid 2, as I was talking about recently, and I was really surprised by one thing that games today still don't even universally do. When Snake is in a bathroom, you can see him in the mirror now this is a really complicated thing to do because it requires the game to render the specific scene twice yeah as you're walking through and that's why a lot of games just don't waste the ram on that even big games like the last of us i think and stuff didn't have any reflections in mirrors yeah i think i think Res resident evil village i think even like maybe that, that was the one i was thinking of I, yeah because I, I, I remember there was like a, a mirror in ethan's house that was like that had a, a tarp over it like for no reason. Like I was like, why would you just why wouldn't you just not put a mirror there? It's like I don't know, it's very weird. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking David is on your Yeah, maybe there is. I don't know. I was trying to see if the, I was right or wrong about the last was. But I noticed that because th those are a little again, we talk about the little things and even graphically that just felt more real because I always noticed when I was a kid and still today when there's a mirror in a room and you can't see anything through it. It just like don't even put the mirror in the room because uh, it, it's a massive distraction. So Similar to what Joe is saying, where I don't look down. In fact, I hate that shit sometimes when you see it. And then sometimes you see a reflection of yourself and you're just a goofy like yeah. rag doll that they never intended on you <laughs> seeing at all. But you can see yourself in like the reflection or something of, a, of, of water. So, uh, Chris, do you do anything unusual like Joe does where you, you try to look down or try to calibrate yourself in some way into these worlds? Uh, I don't know. I, I usually like when I when I start a game, I press every single button just to just yeah, because I, 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 I hate looking at like. I don't know. Like, I never want to have to press pause and look at the controls. Like, I want to know, like, all right, what is it? What, what, what can I do? All right, I got it all out of my system in, like, the first, like, minute or so. Like, I know what everything does. I'm set. Like, I'll figure it out on the way. But as far as, like, the first person thing, that's a weird thing for me, too, that I really, like, like. I like knowing that there are feet beneath me, even though I, even though I, it's totally psychological. But it's nice to see because it's just, like, this extra detail that doesn't really need to be there because like i mean there are games that don't do that like half-life doesn't do that portal doesn't do that you know plenty of games don't do that but for whatever reason i always appreciate when a game does something that it doesn't have to 
and it's you know it serves the experience a little bit because it's cool like oh i get to see my specifically in halo like you look down you get to see like your armor and like you you kind of get to know i think a lot of it was just like to know what team you were on you could look down and like oh i'm on red team because i'm red or whatever just a way to organically check that without having to like pause the game or like look at like a ui element was pretty cool i can't remember if far cry can you see your legs in far cry i feel like you can but i actually don't know it's yeah, been a, it's know. been a minute hmm. since i've played it but yeah soon enough far cry 6 comes out we'll we'll look that's true we'll find out dustin what say you i feel like joe's decision to play battlefield over call of duty because of the ability to see his body <laughs> is a little extreme no that's appropriately psychotic for yeah. sacred symbols that's not even anything Come yeah on. but i i don't know this is something i don't really think about uh, at all i will say that sometimes games can i don't know what the right word is too much detail i'm speaking yeah. specifically of one instance and it's halo 4 where oh, yeah. mm-hmm. they include the rim of chief's visor and yeah. it limits your your field of view and it's so annoying and you cannot turn it off i hate it it's really stupid yeah yeah it, it looks so, like you're looking through the helmet and it's like i don't need this like just yeah. give me if i'm it's so stupid it's I, ah, whatever i can't i can't well because even if in, I, I was thinking about that with the, the in the futuristic world of halo even if there was some sort of thing cutting off your vision, you would have some sort of heads up display that would remove all of that. I would imagine, right? Like there would be no, certainly they're technologically advanced enough where well, for, your field of view would for, be infinite. For me, it's just the, the matter of just like, I can see my nose 100% of the time, but I don't need, like if I'm playing Call of Duty, I don't want to see like a nose in the middle of my screen <laughs> just because that's what I would see. I'm obviously sure. like tuning that shit out mentally because it's not important like the the rim of the helmet is not important show me what's on the other side because this is a video game and i want to see what's on the fucking other side of it there is there is too much detail sometimes and and people get a little carried away like specifically this is a pet peeve of mine that i've I've talked about probably like endlessly in first person games where i don't know who made the decision where we we went from this really nice style of interacting with objects where you walk up to something and you press the action button and the thing activates right the button goes up the elevator door comes down whatever now for whatever reason when you press that button the game likes to remind you that hey by the way you press that button so we're gonna slide you into a really detailed animation of your hand coming up and like pressing that button and it's like a little slow just so you can really just look at i want you to look at the hands that we made and how cool the hands look you know i spent a lot of hours i like i've been crunching on this hand for weeks so i want you to really see it for 10 whole fucking seconds before i let you play the game again i don't know why this is such a common thing i would much rather like the borderlands like old school style of just if i'm picking something up i'd almost rather it just be floating in front of me than have like this tedious animation of like kneeling down, picking it up, and like inspecting my own hand as if I've never fucking seen it before. I feel like a lot of these things are like mini loads. <laughs> I feel like we're yeah. gonna see less of these things in the future. Maybe, yeah. Certainly, the the heinous shit we're not gonna see anymore. Grab my hand, move this barrier out of the way. Yeah. At least once we get past <laughs> PS4, we'll see. We'll see. I've got a war and all these games run, but thanks for writing in, Joe. Finally, and I promise we would get back to this topic. It comes from Tick Dickler. 
says, gentlemen, rumors are Satya, Microsoft CEO of Microsoft, I love that, <laughs> is down the clown, as this do, as the Zoomers say, and Xbox is looking to put another publisher deal together. Real talk, their cash on hand is more than EA, Activision, and Take-Two's market cap put together. Assuming this is legit, which is a big if, are we getting a DC Marvel console split? Grand Theft, Grand Theft Spencer or maybe an antitrust lawsuit? Cheers. So these rumors are persistent, and I don't dwell in the Xbox space, so I don't have any idea what people are saying per se or where the sources are coming from. Uh-huh. I want to just reiterate this real quick before I let you guys go, okay? Microsoft buying any of those companies would be fucking heinous. Yeah. With a capital H. And it would make people hate Microsoft if they went and did something like that. I'm telling you. They do shit like this at their own peril unless they bought one of these publishers and left them completely alone. No one is going to tolerate a reality in which Microsoft gets take two and then takes Grand Theft Auto away from 150 million people that own GTA 5 or something like that. It's just nuts. Mm -hmm. And I think it's I've been pretty nice to Microsoft and I think that they deserve a lot of the kindness that comes from this show. Not that they care one way or the other. I think they're doing a nice job. But here's the fucking reality of the situation. Microsoft has done very little with studios that it has nurtured and founded itself. And it is going around and grabbing things off of the market because it cannot satiate that demand internally. And that is not a problem that is happening with PlayStation. Mm -hmm. And that is the two things that differentiate the two. And by the way, if Sony came out and said, we're buying take two, I'd be like, that sucks. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were, were rumored about the Square Enix thing and all that. I'm like, that would suck. I want Sony to make new teams. I want Sony to make new IP. And maybe you buy one or two teams that you worked with, which has always been their tradition. But no one can go and say like Sony has gone and really injured other companies with their acquisitions. And this is the kind of thing. But this is one thing. But this is the kind of thing where I would find this completely unacceptable. And I think Microsoft must know that yeah. it will backfire on them if they do if they push this too far. So, Chris, go ahead. No, I think there's some, I, I think they must be smart enough to know that. Like you would hope anyway, because I think even the fact that they they got Bethesda for that price, right? It showed some level of savviness because I think they knew on some level that Bethesda, you know, Microsoft acquiring any publisher that big was going to cause like some controversy, whatever, like people were going to be upset, whatever. But I think they had to know on some level that Bethesda was the one that they could get away with with the least amount of backlash, because not only does Bethesda have like a bit more history with Microsoft than PlayStation, but they don't own like Grand Theft Auto, dude. They don't own like Madden, you know, they don't own like Call of Duty, you know, they own important things like for sure, like like Elder Scrolls is huge and like Fallout is a big deal. But those games like presumably like 76 and like Elder Scrolls Online will persist on other platforms anyway. I think on some level they knew that Bethesda was the one that they could get away with. So if they're if if they're looking at EA or Activision or Take Two, uh, I think it's a unanimous sentiment on this show. That that is just too much. And I've said, like like you said yourself about Square Enix, I've said multiple times that, like, you have to consider, like, from the Sony perspective, like, when we were talking about, oh, what studio could Sony buy? It's like, you have to play that carefully because you don't, like, you could get a huge game for your own platform, but you're, that's a, that could also be a massive blow to your image and to your, the way that the, you know, the consumer base perceives you. And that is also very valuable. Image is in large part everything, you know? So I don't know, this this would be too much. And by the way, it, it's, we would both say that about either 
like PlayStation, Microsoft, Nintendo, anybody buying Absolutely. those publishers, it's just that's too much taken away from everybody to to really get gung ho about it. Right. And, and I think, too, Chris, that if because the arguments being like, well, maybe they'll leave everything out there. And I would imagine that if Microsoft really went and bought EA, for instance, that there's no way that that they would just be like, OK, now Madden's proprietary to Xbox. I think what they would do, yeah. what the argument would be like, well, now we have these games on Game Pass. But to me, I'm like, but what are you doing? I, I just like what would even be the point of that? And I must say that I feel like Sony, I, I feel like the Fire Sprite purchase was the first time Sony ever bought a team where I'm like, what? And and that, and that's that, not that no no offense to those guys. I've not played the the persistence. It might, might be a great game, but that was the first time Sony acquired a studio where I rubbed my eyes and I was like, well, who the fuck thought that they were going to buy fi- buy Fire Sprite? But when I look at Xbox, there are some teams where I'm like, come on, man, you guys are just buying things. And I think that when you look at some of the teams, like Undead Labs, made a lot of sense, right? But why would you buy like Ninja Theory? What was the point of that? What was the point of Double Fine? I mean, obviously, Psychonauts 2 is really great, but in terms of culture. And so I just think that that would be another move like that where you're just grabbing things because you can. And I should say I'm a Microsoft shareholder, so I want them to make as much money as they possibly can. But Dustin, I just feel like the, the cost is, t- is high and the risk is high. They're not the market leader at all. So it's not like they would get a lot of respect by being like, oh, we're already all there. Well, now EA is with us or whatever. I just feel like it's they got to be really careful about this. And I, I agree with Chris. I think Chris said it very well. Bethesda was like the edge. And even that I felt like, see, I personally didn't care about that very much. And I know that a lot of people did, but I was just like, I don't know, man, I'll miss it. I'll definitely miss machine games, but I'll live. But for people that play WRPGs or certain games, it's a, that was a huge loss and certainly injured them, too. So anyway, what do you think? I always find it funny thinking about people. We check we check the fanboyism at the door for this show, but we got to call it out sometimes. There's a lot of people that want to argue about one of Microsoft's greatest strengths is their ability to open up their wallet and buy things for their console. And from my perspective, they have to buy things because they're so terrible at managing their own teams. Look at the last decade. Okay. Look at since the entire Xbox one generation, even slightly before that, look at games like crack the crackdown, right? Crackdown three. Look at how they handled fable. Look at how they handled their most valuable IP with Halo since Bungie's been gone. Plus Phantom Dust canceled, Scalebound canceled. I was, I was about oh, to mention yeah. that. They can't yeah. even handle their second party relationships. So what do they do? They resort to just buying studios and you better pray that they don't get involved with the management of these teams because look at the history. Just look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that they very wisely, at least for now, said that they're going to let Bethesda continue to be like a, a sub-managed brand uh, because you better hope that they don't get involved because they continually are screwing up over and over again. So, yeah, I don't want Microsoft purchasing anybody for that reason, uh, along with a multitude of others. And I'm glad you brought up, Colin, the fact that people have pointed out or tried to bring to us like, well... Sony was buying Square Enix you wouldn't have any problem with it it's like no no I would, I I would have a huge problem with it we don't we don't want a consolidation of the industry we don't want that we want to see strong independent company companies that are out there competing with one another that's how we get the best games for everyone involved so I don't know I just I I don't 
want to come off as the like the guy on the PlayStation podcast that's ranting about oh, Xbox whatever. buying stuff, but like just look look at look at the history. That's all I'm saying. I think no, I agree. we're making a lot of sense. Oh, and I don't think anything that we're yeah, saying is like out of pocket or like completely like anybody listening to this would you'd have to be insane not to understand like what we're saying, you know, and I, I think um, it's just not good for the industry to have this much consolidation like and again, like Bethesda was the edge of what you could get away with. And I, I, I think that I think that's why they did. It. I think they know that. So if these rumors are true then uh they're you know they're getting a little bit out of touch yeah that's gonna that will that will not go over well no it won't i i just it won't it just definitely won't people that are wishing these things into existence better hope in some way that it doesn't happen because i have no problem with microsoft going on and buying some key pieces that they feel they need but sure sony will do the same but big publishers come on man yeah. And I, I, I got to give it up to Sony. They're making they're making more strategic investments. It seems like like just a little bit in Discord, a little bit with Epic, a little, you know, well, actually more than a little bit with Discord, but a little bit with Epic and, and so on and so forth. And you have to and, and you know, Evo and yeah. they're making like a foundation and they realize that you can only release so many games anyway. I actually personally think Microsoft Studios, if you include Bethesda, is big enough. It's a big ass team. Like yeah. 30 teams. Yeah, no, I don't know how many more teams you need than that. So we'll see. I don't want to get too ranty, but we give we fillet Microsoft a lot on this podcast because they've been doing a really nice job and they need to be taken down a notch once in a while. And I'll fucking take them down one or two notches. And and also just this criticism I'll, is just really from the perspective of just like keep doing a good job, you know, just right. manage the teams that you now have. Well, like, I, I don't want to see either. Yeah. I don't want to see, uh, you know, PlayStation or Xbox like fail. I want them to both be very, very healthy. And I think right. Microsoft is in a good position right now to just hunker down and focus you don't need I to agree. go around like buying shit like you don't what do yeah you why need? are you at the supermarket when you yeah. keep an eye on the oven you just <laughs> yeah like yeah. You, you you've got three <laughs> gallons of milk in your fridge dude like like why are you out looking for milk again uh i don't know yeah it'll be interesting i think that the where i think the battlefield should take place is with second party exclusive deals and third party timed exclusives that's how you yeah that's how you play the game without removing a massive piece from the board for someone else and i just think there's so many game makers so many studios so much money you don't need to go and co-opt other cultures basically and inject them into yours and if anything chris what you were saying earlier about them keeping them separate will be good for bethesda but maybe bad for microsoft right maybe they need a little bit of bethesda because at least bethesda ships now bethesda game studios is a little bit of a joke in my opinion but the other ship and so maybe they can learn something i mean think about how much id machine games and arcane have done since xbox put out a good first party game yeah (laughs) that's like come on man and that's why i also think halo i don't know we'll see i'm 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 curious but they i i'm actually more confident in that game redfall which i think looks really cool but we'll see Mm -hmm. it's apparently in closed alpha right now i I haven't heard too much about it yeah yeah there it leaked a little bit we don't have to talk about that though, because you know. yeah, we'll leave that to the Dukes. Yeah, but boys, that's all we have for this. It's a pretty short episode compared to where we've been going lately on Sacred Symbols. Chris, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I, I'm actually about to go download this uh, Halo thing and see if you know, cool, see if see if it's a mess. <laughs> we'll have fun. Uh, so yeah. All right, we'll go support Chris on Twitch, of course. And Dustin, any closing thoughts? No, just uh, it's busy time. I'm excited. I'm also really excited for this Halo 
thing. Also, Diablo uh, is out now, which I'm excited for that. I have Kenna. I have Tails. And uh, there's just... Uh, and that, dude, the Nintendo Direct uh, where is right after this. So it's 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 a good time. Yeah. Yeah, right on. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to delving into more of that Castlevania that they just announced. I'm just going to say it. And, You're just going to say don't, it. We'll see. Yeah. So... Boys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Sacred Symbols, Last Stand Media, Knockback, Defining Duke, and so on and so forth. Remember, go to patreon.com slash Media to support us over there. Get early ad-free access to all the shows, Sacred Symbols Plus access, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. And uh, that's basically it. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show was conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen, Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Top G82, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Andy Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinsler III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Codero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Three, two, one. Oh. Hold on, I have I have a text message from my G.I. Joe Consigliere. Let's see what <laughs> <laughs>
just falls apart. <laughs>